I'm Danny Fingeroth. I was the editor of the Spider-Man line, and I'm writing a biography of Stan Lee, and you are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Strong. Yep. Good. Always the case. You know what the difference was this time? No, you don't, because we're not doing video. Um, there was that slight pause between go because I did the Isaac finger guns and then I launched over and did the you're, you're Isaac a me- from the love boat. It's method. Oh, nice. Yeah, I knew you. Oh, she actually explained it for the boy. Gotcha. <laughs> Listen, I mean, you're the only person on the earth left that calls me a boy at 45 years old, so I'll take it. You're my boy. That's right. Yeah, my boy Blue. It's true. Speaking of uh, my boy Blue, Dap, what was up with you with them glasses on the uh, picture? Those are my those are my gunner knockoffs. I wear those at work because of the because uh, of the blue light from the PCs from the computers, and it, I oh. just my eyes get tired. They'll dry out, so that's just to keep me from having to resort to to wearing glasses as my eyes get weaker as okay. the um, okay. as I get older and the LASIK doesn't. Uh, I don't. I'll, I'll end up having to ask Vince for the URL for for the magnetics. Yeah, eventually it does. Um, you will. Yes, but uh, only because you get older. And you know, I didn't get I didn't get the LASIK when I was younger. So, um, but because I am staring at at screens, especially now that I'm home, those were the last things I grabbed from the office when we uh, got the all clear to clear out, and we. Um, mm-hmm. I, I so yeah, so I wear those while well, because I have. I got the MacBook. I have the Dell laptop from work with the smaller screen, and then I have my iPad during the Zoom meetings. And between the three screens, I just I don't I don't need my eyes to get all tired and dry. And right. So yeah. Apparently, this Zoom thing is very easily hackable. Yeah. It yeah they've it was. Been, they've done a couple of updates since that news broke. But yeah. Ah well, the uh, head of the department at the university was addressing the master's program students. And at the end of his broadcast, someone cut in with a pornographic audio file. No way. Yes. I laughed. Hilarious. But then I was like, that's not a good thing. And oh, and if funny. you ever knew the guy, I mean, okay, Google him, Stephen Brower. He's done books for uh, fanographics. He's extremely le- he, um, extremely learned on comics and art and illustration and design. He, he was the editor for Print Magazine. Um, he's I respect the dude. I look up to him. I had to chuckle, but he is not the person you would ever think would have a pornographic segment to anything. anything. Yeah, he's awesome. But uh, And so are we, because this is 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 665. Damn. And I am Vince B. You are Vince B. And you can definitely tell we do not have a guest. We don't have to be on our best behavior tonight because we've been going for over 20 minutes now all over the place but i'm david a price that is true and uh in this dimension at least i am dr max wilding oh but you're not you're not dr max wilding you're jason wood everybody together again we're all relaxed we're, we're we've settled in for a long ass episode oh yeah yes got the night got the day off tomorrow good friday markets are closed yep and Hallelujah. you don't need the head of the company to pimp DCBService.com. We can do it without her. 
And if you haven't listened, listen to the last episode because Christina was here and she set uh, a lot of things straight and she was very optimistic. And we are optimistic because that's why I'm telling you the list of specials are up on DCBService.com. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a best case scenario. We pay for the stuff and we get credited for it somewhere down the line when they eventually do ship because yes. we're, we're in a very, very strange time. Um, and I geared my previews video towards collected editions and trade nice. paperbacks because if there's anything that has a very good chance of actually being published from this previews catalog, it's the collections because they can be distributed through the book market. Agreed. Right. And so I eschewed the floppies, but I'm not going to eschew the floppies here. In fact, it is a special month. It is Dark Horse Month. Mm. Yeah, it's Manga Month in the regular catalog, but we don't do things yes. by the book. So 11 O'Clock Comics is now featuring Dark Horse Month. And I have selected three Dark Horse comics you should be very um, aware of. The first, it's Barbalian, Red Planet yes. number one. Yes. It is part of the Black Hammer universe. It's written by... Uh, Wow. Tate Brumball. <laughs> yeah, for first first Black Hammer comic not written by Jeff. Well, Jeff is the guiding light because his name's on the credits, but I'm mm, sure. Right. Uh Gabriel Walta did the art and of course mm -hmm. Jordi Belair on colors. It's a groundbreaking okay. new sci-fi action series in the world of Eisner award-winning Black Hammer. It's about prejudice, honor, and identity. Mark Marx has found his place on earth as both a decorated police officer and as the beloved superhero Barbalian. But in the midst of the AIDS crisis, hatred from all sides makes balancing these identities seem impossible, especially when a Martian enemy from the past hunts him down to take him back dead or alive. Bum, bum, bum. The cover price on this is three ninety nine, but your price is half that. $1.99. Next up, we have Lady Baltimore. Number one of five, written by Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden, with art by Bridget Connell. Once she was Sophia Valk, living in a village overrun by evil. In time, she became Lord Baltimore's most trusted ally, and I can see why. Now, more than a decade after his death, Europe has erupted with the early battles of World War II, and dark forces are rising again. With witches, vampires, and Nazis on the march, Sophia must embrace the title of Lady Baltimore. But can she fight monsters without becoming a monster herself? Impossible, you say? We'll see. Horror genius writing team Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden reunite with stellar art by Bridget Connell and colors by Michelle Madsen. Returning to the world of Lord Baltimore. Uh, cover price on this is three ninety nine. Your price? It's a trend. $1.99. And bringing up the rear, but never in our hearts, it is You Look Like Death. Tales from the Umbrella Academy, number one of six. Written by Gerard Way and Sean Simon, with art by I.N.J. Culbard. Gabriel Bod did the cover, and it's uh, further iterations into the uh, Umbrella Academy universe. 
uh, 18-year-old Seance gets himself kicked out of the Umbrella Academy, and his allowance is discontinued by Hargreaves. He takes to a place where his ghoulish talents will be appreciated. Scranton? No. After a magical (laughs) (laughs) high on a vampire drug, Lord Stash, Klaus needs help and doesn't have siblings there to save him. Seance gets his own limited series uh, from Gerard Way, Sean Simon, who did The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys. That's right. Yes. Uh, regular price, three ninety nine. Your price, same as it ever was, $1.99. Now, DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions, and you get your books shipped all nice and safe and secure to the very door of your home. Ding dong. It's my books, yo. Go there. Got to get them. Yes. I am, uh, man, we're, we're in lockstep. Those are three books that I highlighted in my video. Well, it's not hard to spotlight these. They're all number ones. They're all established series. They're all great creative teams. Not a stretch, my friend. But good on you. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, before we jump in, I have two updates that relate to our fantastic conversation last week with Christina. Oh, nice. Do tell. One is direct from the source, and one is from several reliable uh, little birdies that we have in our network. Which do you want first? Um, You call the shots. All right. Well, I'll start with the good news. The good news from Christina directly is that the sale that we mentioned last week, which uh, started on the 3rd, has been fantastic. So she wanted to thank everybody for participating. Yeah, I was say something about that. Okay, no, no, due, no, I'll wait for you to finish. Right, okay, it was due to end tomorrow, uh, April 10th, but she wanted me to let you all know that if you're listening to the show, that she is going to keep it going for another week. And they have restocked, added a couple hundred, five, six hundred more titles to the sale. And if you're listening to this, you're probably going to get a 12 to 24 hour head start on that news because she said that uh, she wanted to let us all know first and then she'll uh, announce it to the subscribers or the customers uh, via an email probably tomorrow night or something. So, uh, so that's pretty cool. That's the good news. Okay. Um, I, not a, the not so good news. And again, I did corroborate this with a few people, although I don't know that it's been made official anywhere publicly. So let's characterize it as a rumor that I believe has a fair chance of being accurate. Put it that way. Uh, Diamond is letting publishers know that they don't plan on putting out uh, new comics, effectively reopening until May 20th. Interesting. Which is another six, what's five more weeks of the six weeks that they had said they were going to use that six week plan to pay, play, you know, pay publishers only 25% of what they owe them. So um, right now the belief is that there won't be new comics shipped until the end of May, which obviously is, is not great news, but. But uh, I felt it was important news. So, uh, in as much as we'll see if I'm hoping this this rumor is not accurate, but if it is, um, uh, I figured y'all would want to know. So, hmm, interesting. You know, it's kind of strange. Um, I stopped the Transformers books. The last issues, um, the the most recently published issues, were the last mm-hmm. ones I had pre-ordered for some weird, strange quirky reason that i tend to do yes and now this thing hits and we aren't going to see the ones i didn't pre-order because i had pre-order remorse i was like why didn't i pre-order those i enjoy the book but it's like 
you know, 250 whatever an issue and there's three, usually four Transformers books a month. So it's, it's like an extra 10 bucks a month, right? And I'm thinking, does, are they really worth it? Yes, they are. But at the moment, I didn't think so. And now these books are obviously going to be resolicited because you can't have a two month gap in between publishing and not resolicit the books. They have to be resolicited. Uh, yeah. Pro- well, I don't know though, because if if they if they accept these solicits, then then they can get the money. I don't know. You could be right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to speculate. I don't know. Right. And another yeah. weird thing concerning IDW, I heard or I read that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 105 is the last issue. That, Maybe they lost the license, or I don't know. No, no they didn't lose a license. It's just that's the last issue of the current series for some reason. No, 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 yeah. because. 105 ends the the current arc because 104 um exactly 106 and 107 were solicited but they ain't yes, going to get they were. they're not going to get printed is what i read it's okay. stopping at 105 and i cannot okay well then that it's not getting printed probably because of what's going on i don't think they made the announcement before cuz they were solicited it, sophie's writing them that yeah. they're illustrated by someone else but so they're still part of the story that she's telling but for them not to be printed, I'm I'm assuming they're going to be printed at a later date. It's just sure. they they decided to not print them because of everything else going on. Yeah, but it's really odd that you would say, okay, uh, let's stop Turtles at 105. That's only one of a plethora of ongoing series they have. Why would they just target Turtles and and not say, you know, what we're not going to publish a bunch of stuff? I I don't do, understand. Do we know that they did it? Because I don't think I I don't think it may not have been an IDW call. It 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 may have been it it may have been an Eastman call or so. It, I don't. I, <laughs> I doubt it was an way, Eastman way, call. <laughs> everything the way everything is laid out. I mean, well, well, Eastman's it, is he still in New England or, or or does he live in California now? But wherever anybody is, they may just have decided like that. Yes, IDW publishes it, and Nickelodeon owns the property. But I don't know. How much sway? Like if if um, if Colin wanted to stop writing Star Trek Year Five for for a couple of months because of what's going on, I don't know if IDW is like, no, Paramount's on our ass. We got to get it out. Or if IDW would say that, or if they're just like, okay, you know what, we need to do what's best for our creators. And I mean, granted, you can work from home, obviously, if 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 you're a creator, but just because you have the stories ready to be drawn if if an artist isn't working digitally and they got to get supplies or if uh after the files are sent to the printer and obviously printers are not in a rush to work right now it's 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 a domino effect it's it's a whole it's not just one person putting the brakes on something obviously i'm I'm thinking this came to a head because of multiple parties yes it's odd that it's just the turtles that are being kind of singled out here but i don't think it's only the turtles uh, Sophie Campbell has clarified. Uh, okay. I guess I just looked this up. She did tweet that it was ending at 105, and then I guess she's followed up and she said, uh, just got word that, um, well, her first tweet was just got word the production stopping, so Turtles is done for now. I'm going to finish up issue 105, then that's it. See you guys on the other side. But she just got, or she put out another tweet which says, hold on, where is it? Um, it says, um, Hopefully things will kick back into gear soon. I've still got more turtles to do. Okay, I guess my initial tweet about turtles going on hiatus 
an IDW halting production came off like everything was canceled and over forever, <laughs> but it's temporary, all caps, three exclamation points. Turtles will be back. I don't know when exactly, but it will. Okay. Cool. So Good. I just think it's budget. I just think it's finance. I mean, yeah, most yeah. most publishers um, are are now you know take, cutting either all or a big chunk of of what was on the on the slate, right? So, uh, my my um, I'm glad that the sale is extended, um, and I'm glad that items are being added. I unfortunately I don't think that means anything. I'm, I'm a I mentioned to you guys on, on the Slack that the reason I haven't finished reading Black Hammer Justice League is because for some stupid-ass reason, I failed to order the fifth issue. And I noticed that when I was going through my order history. And as I'm going through things, going through things I may have missed, like the, the last issue of Adventure Time Regular Show was canceled, but the trade's out. So I don't know why the last issue was canceled or if it was just never reordered. Um so as I'm going through my order history to see what I'm missing, to see what I can take advantage of in the sale, the Terry Dotson variant for the fifth issue of Black Hammer Justice League was available. And I put it in my cart. And I put a couple other things in my cart. And then I start using the pull list feature to get the things that are solicited in April to add to my cart. And I can finish making my order and as, as I get my previews video ready. And when I added the pull list items to my cart, a big old banner at the top of the checkout page or the the order page, there were two items that were removed because they're no longer available. And one of them was Black Hammer Justice League. So even though I believe Christina said these items aren't shipping until the end of the month, um, if you've put them in your cart and you've paid for them, um, I'm guessing they're pulled off the shelf. So good for you someone got my copy of black humor justice league number five um we'll see if it's maybe restocked i doubt it it's just something i'll be on the lookout for but um it's it's great that it's going to be extended yeah love you but that was you're usually on top of things like that if you put in stock items in with an order you're not going to get those in stock items until that order ships Right. No, I know that. Yeah. So the week. fact that it's a, a a weird time and the stuff you were going to order may not ship at all. When do you get that stuff? You no, know, you're still going to. She she said if if nothing, whatever ha- the way she explained it last week, and I don't I don't know if that means if you're a weekly customer, then you know you're getting it this week. But the way I remember Christina phrasing it was that at the end of the month, if if they don't have anything from April to ship to you, whatever you order during this sale will be shipped to you in lieu of your April books. Gotcha. So I was still, I, yes, it's great. You know, however many copies they had, they were all purchased because they, someone checked them out. I I didn't check them out yet. They were just in my cart. So someone checked them out, whether they're ready to be packed and shipped out at the end of the month, or they were weekly or bi-weekly customers that ordered them, someone's getting them, and that's great. Um, it ain't me; it's fine. But it's um, I, I was I was I was more surprised to see that, like the one thing I was kind of looking forward to that that I was like, oh, cool, I missed that, and I'm going to get it now, and and it was swiped. But um, you're right. Yes, if if it's an in stock item, and you don't know when you and and you're going to add your April order to it, you're still going to get the in stock stuff. 
because you don't know when you're going to get the April stuff. That's, yeah. that's the way I understood. Right. All right. We got stuff to talk about. Do we have any thank yous before we? Uh... Uh, I don't think so. How about we just thank them all for listening during, oh, these, yeah. oh, for dur- sure. yeah, during yeah. these trying times? Yeah. And uh, glad you're around. Keep it that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, we all read something. We all read a couple things. Yeah. Well, one of the things we all read. Uh, Jason, did you do? You did finish it, yes? Yeah, absolutely, I did. Okay, yeah. it's a, a little series uh, collected in hardcover form by DC called Batman Universe by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Nick Darrington and Dave Stewart. And I did not know this because I didn't look at the back cover because that dust jacket was quickly removed from the book. Um, and the cover is a million times better underneath it's a printed cover with a gloss coat it's an amazing shot wraparound. of of and it's actually yes it's a wraparound but it's a vertical uh wraparound that is printed horizontally so if you want to see the whole thing you got to open it up and you know look at the majesty of of the image it's an awesome awesome image um it was originally printed in the walmart uh batman giants right yes yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it, it threw a loop to me because i was looking for um the issues and i'm like wait a minute this is 12 issues because in the book it's there's 12 parts to the story so I, i'm as i'm reading i'm not counting pages i'm thinking okay it must have been 12 issues but it's not it was only six issues um as printed in the the single issues not counting the batman giants because they were printed mm-hmm. in in two formats and now they've collected it all so you don't have to worry about any of that they've collected it all in a beautiful hardcover with non-glare paper thank you dc it's it's a toothy matte finished paper it's beautiful and i'm uh, especially appreciative of it because and i'm going to come out of the box swinging i think it's a visual masterpiece yes Yes, yes. Yeah. It is Darwin Cook New Frontier level. Yes. And that's not an exaggeration. No, I agree with you. Yeah, I think it is one of, visually, it is one of the best Batman stories I've seen in a long stretch. It's it's boss level. It's so beautifully done. Yeah. I, I had zero intentions of reading this. It was not anywhere on my radar until you both said, let's, let's collabo on it. And... Uh, I it is I can't thank you enough because I it the this is as as pretty a Batman story as I've ever read. Yes, I I totally agree. Um, story wise, the the story is it's an afterthought. It's a it's basically in the chain of command on what makes this book special. Nick Darrington is number one, uh, Dave Stewart's number two, and Bendis would be three because I think the story is negligible. What what little story there is there. It's just an excuse to have Batman traipse around to different locations, meeting up with different DC heroes. And insert Ginny Hex from another book that Bendis is working on into the storyline. I thought the story was ridiculous. Actually, th- this is her first appearance. Which later panned out in Young Justice. So right. he was planning. Because this trunk, oh, absolutely! I mean, yeah. the trunk that 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 she isn't that is introduced with her in this story is the trunk she's traveling with the first issue of Young Justice. So yes, but it's 
because of the weird ish publishing schedule with this, it was serialized and it was reprinted in six issues and then the hardcover. And then, but of course the injustice came out before Batman universe. It's, you know, when you get the overstreet guide, you're going to have to figure out which is her first appearance. But Mm. yeah, she, she was there first. And so it's not like, Oh, okay, well here's Bendis trying to shoehorn one of his young justice characters into this book. It's more the other way around, but he was still planning for the future. Absolutely. Yes. He is. He is very canny in that respect. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, but the characters that were running around were not the characters I've known for the past 40 years. The, the, the dialogue coming out of Batman's mouth and Dick's mouth and mo- basically everybody's mouth did not ring true. It's hokey. It's that typical Bendis. I'm more hip than I think I am dialogue. I just thought the story was, it was an afterthought. It, it's, it was basically, a way to get Nick Darrington to draw dinosaurs and Thanagarians and Green Lantern Corps, which, good. I mean, he's smart. If Bendis was sided with a guy with the, as, as strong as Nick Darrington, you're going to play to his strengths. You're going to give him mm-hmm. fantastic things to draw. But big picture, I thought the story was extremely weak. That's just um, my take. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, full disclosure, I, I just read this today, so I haven't had a lot of time to ruminate on it. Uh, I definitely think the story is highly forgettable. So for those that, that gasped when I compared this to New Frontier, let me be clear. I, I meant visually. Right. Uh, it's that level good. Uh, I'm, I'm with I, I, I don't know that I'm going to be with you in the sense that, like, I'm going to have a lot of negative to say about it. But I did think the story was very much a vessel for. Um, having a chance to have Darrington show off his stuff in lots of cool places in the DCU. Yeah, it was a means to an end, and and yeah. right, rightly yeah. so. If if you're you're teamed with a boss like Darrington, you're going to play to his strengths. It's it's only it's just smart creating, right? But I'm I'm not going to go through and cite dialogue. I, I don't want to be that guy. But it, the 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 words did not ring true out of any of these characters' mouths. And Bendis obviously did not do his research because if you're going to use a white lantern ring, at least research it. Okay. The mythology surrounding the white lantern ring is nothing as appears in this book. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I don't, I mean, this is, that's new to me. I, I just, I don't, I don't know it one way or the other. So, right. Keep is he maybe mind. rewriting it? I mean, doesn't he have the... He's kind of got the well, ability and power to rewrite it, right? Sure, he's been... Well, I don't know. You're not going to rewrite Jeff Johns, especially when it comes to Green Lantern Corps. But the White Lantern ring popped up when uh, the life entity ba- banged heads with Sinestro, and that was in, in Brightest Day. And then later on, you get the whole Kyle Rayner thing with the mastery of the emotional spectrum. None of that was mentioned in here oh here's a a, a one a, a guardian a female guardian that created the first ring and it just so happens to be white how could you create a white ring first when a white ring encompasses all the spectrum it does not make sense it's just bendis playing around but i'm not i'm not a stickler for continuity or mythology if you want to tweak it great but at least let it make sense this doesn't make any sense at all for the people playing at home, the Riddler 
steals a Fabergé egg. And inside the Fabergé egg is an artifact that does very, very weird things when people come in contact with it. It bounces Batman around to Thanagar, the Old West, and Jonah Hex, and uh, Gorilla City. And it's a ping pong um, storyline where we're, we're different locations, beautifully rendered locations. Um, but it's it's just that, that the White Lantern Ring is the fulcrum that sets all these different locations in motion which is cool i i'm i'm, I'm on board with it but if you're going to have a section that comes in with this with an ai embedded into the ring from the creator of said ring saying that i was the one who made the first ring blah 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 and it's it's uh implied that this this is the first ring or a um permutation of the first ring how can it be white it just makes no logical sense that's all I'm saying. Dap, what'd you think about it? Um, well, for anybody who remembers low those many weeks ago, uh, Batman Universe was my favorite superhero book in the Eleven O'Clockers. Um, it's it it is absolutely a gorgeous piece of work. Um, it it hurt to see. Nick show images on Twitter. Um, and then of course, doubly hurt when Felix posts them for sale. Um, but it, it, it is absolutely, uh, a visual treat. I, I absolutely love this book. Um, yes, because of the art, uh, also because it, re- it brings me back to the days of the brave and the bold. Uh, it, it's, it's every issue is Batman teaming up with a, or every chapter is Batman teaming up with another DC character. Uh, I'm not. So yeah, it's no secret that if, if someone sounds off that, that I'm, I'm definitely leading the charge in, in pointing out that blasphemy, but in, this is one of those cases where, and I, I agree with you with the logic of, of, of the White Lantern Ring, um, as far as retconning or anything like that, just like Tom's Superman story that's also, that was also a Walmart exclusive, um, DC kind of inferred that the, it was kind of like an Earth W for just to tell <laughs> stories with these characters. Did they call it Earth uh, W? I, I think Tom may have. Oh no, <laughs> Earth uh, Walmart. God I mean, forbid. Just, just not not an unofficial. Oh not, no, not, not not in a Grant Morrison multiversity. <laughs> this is on the map. Earth W. It's just that that's maybe an internal memo. You know, just like so they know they're not talking about New Fifty Two or Rebirth or anything like that. But um, okay, cause, so cause if this is a story. if this is a new universe or a self contained universe, then everything I said does not apply. Do whatever and, and the hell you want. Some de- and, and to some degree, I do believe it is a self-contained universe. I mean, you get you do get cool images like when they're going through time and you get that, that awesome double-page spread. Uh, you see Superman crashing the car in, into, the, into the rocks and Batman and, and Vince's favorite Vandal Savage are running through the background and, and you get enemy ace. And I mean, you see all the different DC characters from over the generations. Um, Metal Man. So, so yes, yeah, so, so there are there are points reference in in dc's past history but 
I, I do believe this is a it's it's weird though because of the Jenny Hicks Incorporation. I, I, I can't say it's it's an absolute self contained um in its own world story, although since we're not quite sure how Young Justice reformed and, and forgot how they knew each other and where they've been, um Bendis may be playing fast and loose with, with universes and dimensions but um you know now that i don't want to interrupt you but i am now that you now that you're saying this it seems like some of the characters are encountering things for the first time like cyborg doesn't know as much as he should know in this right and and deathstroke doesn't really look like this um and when batman announces to the core i'm batman of earth and nightwing says he really is and batman says some of you know me they should all know him. Most of them, anyway. Right? I mean, he's been in contact with these people for a while now. Like, it's, you may be onto something that this is, this is not, um, I mean, I guess Jonah Hex doesn't remember him from, from, um, from that Justice League of America story where, where, where a bunch of them went back to the old West. Um, but I mean, for the most part, Nightwing, Alfred, they're all, they're, I mean, Dick seems a lot more, um, like Tim. Peter Parkery in this than, than he does in, in other, well, definitely in most recent stories, but, um, I've, I've never known Dick Grayson to be as, um, I, I guess sarcastic, uh, as, as he is here. And that's that. We, we we can say that that's that's a Bendis thing, the, but yeah, I mean it's the, the the way the characters um, are, some of the characters looks, uh, except for Riddler with that stupid chest scar, but you have um, you you do have characters who are as if they were meeting one another. For for the first time, the the, the conversation, the, the exchange between Batman and Green Arrow is maybe not the kind of exchange that that, that you have you'd see them having um, these days, or even pre New Fifty Two. But um, but and and that's that's partly why I I enjoy it as much as I do because I just I'm kind of in the mindset where this is its own thing. So I'm not, because I've, it, it's, it has nothing to do with Tom's Batman, just like Tom's Superman story didn't have anything to do with, with, with what Bendis or Tomasi was, was, was doing with the character. And, um, you know, it doesn't feel like anything that was going on in detective comics. So it's just, it was, it, it was a Walmart comic book story. It was just, it was, it, it was an anthology book. This was the main news story with a bunch of reprints and, and, and extra stories. And, it was designed to, you know, it, it, it wasn't necessarily um, meant for the, the target audience that, you know, is, is, is buying everything at the comic shop. It, it's, you know, if you see it at, at Walmart and you're online, you know, great, get it. Because it wasn't, it's not like even this story kicked off. This, this didn't appear, this didn't start until like the third issue of the Batman giant. So it's not like they were banking on, Oh, Bendis is doing a new Batman story, a new Batman book. It was, it was just, it was a eight or 12 issue, 12 page story in, in, in each issue. Um, so when I just take it for, for the story that's between these two 
nicely drawn covers. Um, that's that's my takeaway as as a as a self contained done in one story. I have no problem with the tweaking to DC's lore that Bendis is doing with this. Yes, again, the the logic with, with the Lantern Ring. Notwithstanding everything else on the page, everything else in the story, um, even the—I mean—the dialogue isn't cringeworthy. But even though not everybody kind of sounds the way they they normally would, um, all of that tied in a nice little bow. Um, I don't, and I'm not saying you're finding it offensive. I don't. I I have no problem with what they're doing in this. No, I because don't. Of, because of my take on on how I think it's presented, I don't find the dialogue offensive it just pulls me right out of the story sure no i get immediately happens to me yeah happens to me all the time so yeah it's um, just i I think it's bendis trying to be hip like he is the to me he is the modern day tom uh, defalco (laughs) wow there's a full quote for you yeah where, where he tries to insert these these euphemisms and and current linguistic tendencies into his characters where I, I i'll be totally honest dick sounded like tim to me it was like there was a teen trapped in a well dick, yeah, dick, okay. dick should right. be like 30 right sure right yeah. it just it, he seemed to talk way younger than his his actual years mm-hmm. and it's just right. weird it's just strange to me i i don't have it there's not a target on bendis's head but because even when you notice a tendency, I re- I don't re- I don't care either way. But but when when you when you notice a tendency over a period of titles, something's got to be there, right? I mean, it just seems like he he tries to write dialogue a certain way, like Jonah Hex would say, "The hell, seriously." <laughs> Yeah, no, that, he that would, was, yeah. That's it's not, no, it's just weird. It's it's strange. I, I mean, Bendis is great. He makes comics, so he's okay in my book. Anybody who makes comics is, it, well, most people who make comics. I'm not going to go Ethan Van Skyver. But if you make comics, you're in my club, more or less. Bendis is in my club. I think he's right. he's great. It's just that he has these mannerisms when he writes dialogue that just... It, it, it It's like somebody blowing a whistle in, in the back of the room. I'm I, I, immediately pulled out of it. I, I, I don't... I get it. I'm, I'm yeah, absolutely no. I because Lord knows, I've said it on the show when when someone just does isn't a right fit for a character on how I feel based on all the years I've been reading certain characters. Right. Exactly, yeah, then yeah. that doesn't doesn't yeah. make sense. And, yeah, um, you know this isn't this isn't like Superior Spider Man where Peter Parker sounds different because it's Otto <laughs> talking for him. You He's know, now like, Peter. This is, this is still supposed to be. You know, Batman, I mean, Alfred screaming out, but, but you know, what's my worst? And it's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just, you know, I don't need a minute. And it's, there, there are things where you, you can kind of uh, chuckle at it. It's, it's like, you know, no one's going to watch that Cartoon Network Brave and the Bold cartoon with Aquaman saying outrageous and, and think that that's supposed to be the same Batman whose parents were gunned down in an alley and, and, and went after, found Catwoman as a prostitute. It's like it, it they can coexist. And right, right. It's 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 one of those things where I'm I I think it's, you know, Bendis is doing what he's doing with Superman. At the time Tom's doing what he's doing with Batman. It's not like they were going to let Bendis or Tom take over each other's main book. So it's yeah. it's this is this was this was a way for Bendis to write a Batman story, um for the second time and and just 
have fun with it. And and that's that's how I looked at it. Because especially when you get to that double page spread of Batman and Nightwing on the submarine going oh, through the so roof down to the second level. I just I love 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 that. I think somebody recreated that Legos, actually. Not not no oh, lie. Really? This is yeah. This is just I I live for these kind of choreographed, follow the 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 line and see how they just get from one place to the other, and I just it's I love that shit. But yeah. this yeah, it, this this doesn't sound like I mean even when even when Dick Grayson became Nightwing in the new Teen Titans, like he 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 still sound, he sounded older than Batman back then. And well, he was a leader Nightwing to show up and he was yeah. But you know for for Batman for Nightwing to show up in the in in the in the Batcave and and just. You know, nonchalantly, like, yeah, no, I could go for some eggs. It's just, it's, you're right. I, <laughs> it's a little joke. It's, it's a just, little yeah, joke. So, yeah. but. Uh, um, and the section on the submarine, uh, Darrington should send a, a lovely worded letter to the Eisner estate thanking the progenitor <laughs> for, uh, or Bill Keen, take a pick. Uh, yes, for, well, for <laughs> only missing the dots, but yeah. yeah. No, it's a great, great double page spread. Yeah. But uh, let's be honest, if Bendis wants to write, a Batman story, you let Bendis write what he wants to write. Yeah. Right? If he wants to do Bruce Wayne as John Wick, you let him. Because, you know, he's Bendis. I totally agree with it. And it, it long story short, it's a fun book. It's not it a, it's not a great Batman story. It's a fun Batman story that just so happens to be illustrated by a man who has produced a top 10 visual Batman story. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing. I mean, for me, it's uh, like you talk about the seminal works. There were the works that are they get the absolutes or whatever in the Batmans. And, uh, you know, for people a little bit younger than us, Hush is definitely one of those books that they hold in how, and I think Hush is an absolutely forgettable Same. story. Yeah. Uh, but I think again, as you were saying with Darrington, Hush to me was a chance for Jim Lee. Cause he's Jim Lee to get to draw Batman versus everybody he wanted to draw and right. partnered up with everybody he wanted to partner up with. And so if you are a Jim Lee Mark and let's be honest, he's got to be, in a lot of our listeners' top five all time, certainly, especially if you're a little younger than us, uh, that's like that is a holy grail art book for people um, because of it's Jim Lee just doing all those characters. Uh, you know, now Darrington, certainly, I'm not going to apply. Darrington has anywhere near the cachet of of, of Jim, um, historically speaking. But but this just strikes me as I will remember this book as the opportunity uh, that Nick Darrington got to show off his chops. And, and the thing is, is, is you said it, it's not just the, the, the panel by panel, which is beautiful. I mean, his line is beautiful, but the, the splashes with the, with the fight scenes, that is just great stuff. I mean, I hadn't read this when his art was on sale at Felix. Um, but I would, I, I would, I would love to be able to go back in time and see some of those pages, um, in their, in their, original form just to see what they look like now because i i just i wasn't focused on it then but man oh man darrington is ridiculous um and and he's you know i mean we're going to see a lot more of him over his career so that's exciting too uh that that uh this is the kind of level he can achieve when he's working on a project that he's into so yeah he was wonderful on doom patrol yeah but but let's be honest how many people read that book Right, sure. you know, yeah. this is the chance for him. I, I mean, if I was Nick Darrington and Bendis want, you know, wanted me for a Batman story, I don't know how it played out, but whatever the case, Bendis, Batman, Darrington has a chance to get the job. You take the job because you're an amazing talent, and now everybody knows what you're capable yeah. of. You know, and it's just this yeah. is one of those Batman books where 
you you buy it, you read it, you love it, you put it on the shelf. In two years, you're going to pull it out, look at it, and say, holy shit, this Darrington yeah. guy is a friggin' baller. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's master class. I don't want to yeah. blow his head up, but, I mean, I, I was aghast at some of these panels. And and the the progression, like when Batman and Jonah Hex are doing their thing, the 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 multi-panel. I don't know how many pa- panels are upper page, but there's a bunch of them. The two pages where it's just a a a, a blizzard of panels. It's it's master level. It's just great stuff. Great with a capital G. Like we use we say everything's great. Or yeah, it was a great book. This is truly a great visual book. Hmm. Yeah. And it's only fourteen bucks and change at uh, Instock. It's so silly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally worth it. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. It's, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you finally read it, though. It was. I. Oh, I, I liked it. Yeah. I know. I. I and I, I. Listen. I. I know. When I talked about it on the show, it was okay. You know, Ben is writing a Batman story, but I, it's. It's. I also didn't want to give away. Everything. I mean, I could talk about how great Darrington does in this story, but until you actually see it for yourself, yeah, um, words, it's, words it, fail. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. so you know, for for it to be available as in a collection and and at a great price when it was originally solicited, is I think it was half off, and and it's it's a um, it's something that yeah, I, I think it, it's one of those things where. If someone's like, I need to fill up my cart, or I'm looking for something that I haven't mm-hmm. read, yep. you know, what do you recommend? Whether it's a Batman story or not, it's just like I, I, I want something fun. Mm-hmm. Then this this should definitely be on the list of things you offer people when you say, if you don't want anything that you need to get bogged down with, you don't need years of history, you don't have to worry about it being a a, a, a one of eighteen run volume collection. It's definitely get it. Yeah, it's a seminal work. It sh- it should be on your shelf. Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. So, uh, careening out of this discussion, Jason, mm. for some reason, um, while Dap does his taxes, Jason, for some reason, <laughs> was was very hot. Zeros for everybody. <laughs> very hot to do another list segment on the show. Oh, look at me. Yes. yes. And, and we... <laughs> we we agreed with him. We said, hey, lists are always fun. Who doesn't love lists? So he's like, come on, come up with a list. And I said, all right. How about, like a titty. How about we do this? We're, we're reading, we're, all, we're spotlighting a Batman team-up book. Why don't we do our top five favorite pairings within the big two? Now, that could be anything. That could be romantic pairings. The superhero pairings, um, as I, I'm, I'm maybe burying the lead for someone, uh, yearly pairings like the JLA, JSA, whatever the uh, big two had a tendency to pit two characters together in whatever aspect. What is our top five pairings? And so we're going to run with it. And we're going to freaking do it. Yeah, and Dap may take it even further he may extrapolate further into something else you know again foreshadowing we'll see but uh so uh jason you instigated this thing why don't you go first i love how i instigated it i said you guys want to do a list and then you came up with the topic and just explain the topic but 
but yes. Well, I'll, I, I I'm the impetus for the list. You for, are for the, the reason yeah. for the season. I wouldn't have come right. up with it myself. Well, I took the assignment to be uh, like platonic, not necessarily platonic, but 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 duos as as uh, not not a romantic couple as their definitive thing. Not a um, I didn't do like annual event, and I, for me it was five Marvel or DC two character uh, dynamic. Mostly buddies. There, there, if you have a little bit of uh, romance, theoretically, at least of the sapphic kind. But oh, nice! Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just want to do five, five, three, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, mine are in no order, save for the last. They never are. No. Nope. Uh, well, I'm going to give you mine. I'll start with my number five. Um, there were a lot. I, I kind of just threw out a list of of you know to to winnow down. Um, so uh, there were a lot of hard cuts, frankly, because I, I love me some I love me some buddy cop stuff. Um, but I'm going to go with a sentimental pick for my number five. Um, they were mainly best buds and cavorting together while teammates uh, on a team book that I have a long history with. And that is the Beast, Hank McCoy and Wonder Man. Uh, they are. They were the dashing, silly, gone on the town bachelor bros. Uh, basically, the the uh, the bros of uh, before the, that term was a thing um, in the Marvel universe uh, when they were on the Avengers together. And uh, I I just I love it. I've gotten a bunch of commissions of of them paired up together when Wonder Man was in his Nehru jacket, rocking it, and uh, the sunglasses. And uh, it was an odd couple because you know Beast is this furry mutant who's a genius and wonder man's is this, this this dashingly good looking relatively vapid um uh non-mutant and something about them clicked and uh they had great chemistry and great adoration for each other and uh i vividly remember that as always being a fun little comic aside in what were some pretty grand adventures at that time for avengers so number five uh beast and wonder man one nice. of um one of my First comics after I took my break and came back in in, in the late nineties um, was Avengers Two, Wonder Man and Beast, which was I think Roger Stern and and art pencils by by Mark Bagley, and that was a cute little three issue mini, not cute, but it was it was a fun little three issue miniseries, and it it definitely highlighted the the friendship that these two have and and it's it's weird there are there are some characters who have been on on multiple teams and you know wolverine's always going to be an x-men i don't care how hard bendis tried to throw him down our throats on the avengers but it's uh, hank is is definitely a character where it's like yeah by i should just say he, he he's an x-man but it's it's almost like i have to pause where there's an asterisk it's like it's it's he is also linked with the Avengers and not just, you know, as, as the occasional team up or let's see what Hank thinks about this. I mean, he was, he was an Avenger and, and it's, he's someone who really kind of straddles that line for me on between the two teams. Nice. Yeah, I totally agree. Can I go next? Cause if I don't get this out of the way now, Dap's going to steal it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, my number five is, um, they're buddies. And coming up uh, with Marvel, whenever these two characters were get, would get together, 
it always felt genuine to me. Like they were genuinely friends. They enjoyed being around each other. They were roughly the same age and could bat back, um, back and forth, um, current problems they would have in their relationships or their job situation or their family life. Um, and these things would eventually instigate super heroics. Um, Mm -hmm. I I am, of course, talking about Peter Parker and Johnny Storm. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man, Human Torch. Whenever those two got together, I knew I was in for a good time. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but the legacy aspect of Spider-Man appearing in, you know, Fantastic Four very early on um, made it something of a uh, a, a, a long-standing trend in Marvel. Uh, but I didn't know that. But then, you know, now advanced age as I am, it even makes more sense that the two would be friends because they, they basically came up together as I did with Marvel and them. So there's just something about Peter Parker and Johnny Storm that really pulls on the heartstrings for me. It it just feels right. Beautiful. Yeah. Dap, that had to be one of yours. Surprisingly. No, because I, I no, I know. And it's, it is, it, it's an awesome um, because I still feel when it that they do have a great relationship, they have a great friendship, that they, they, they have good chemistry together because they're 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 roughly the same age and um, they're almost two sides of the same coin because you know Peter came up with he's he's. We'll say he struggled more than maybe Johnny did. You know, Johnny and Sue, oh, yeah. they're, they're, you know, dad's a scientist. It's, listen, they're, they're, they're okay. They're, 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 they're doing well. Um, whereas, you know, Peter, pretty much an, an orphan brought up by his, his aunt and her husband. And, and then he's still, he's struggling. Uh, even after high school, he's you know, just trying to make ends meet and, and, and get mayor medicine. And it's, it's, it, it, it's a struggle and, and for these two to to find each other and become friends like that and, and yes and like you said Vince with the superheroics but one thing that always um I really appreciate is after after um well during one more day when when it was post civil war he had he had outed himself and Doctor Strange had everybody forget what Spider Man actually looked like under the mask and forgot his name and Peter Spider-Man revealed himself to the family again. The 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 look on Johnny's face, and then of course Sue and and the rest of the family. Were, basically, Johnny was like, "Of course, how could we forget it?" And it was just right. it, was, it was a moment where it was yep. just like, "That's I, I thank you for that." That was I just it, it gives it you really, the sniffles. How could it not it give you the yeah. sniffles? Yeah, seriously. But, I mean, when you look at the two characters, they're almost polar opposites. Yes. One has very little family. One is all family. One struggles with the ladies. One is Johnny's all about the ladies. Like, the ladies yeah. just throw it at him. So, it's, Everything it, comes easy to Johnny with the race car driving. Yeah, and, it's, and, and, it's yeah, that weird like that. Flash yeah. Thompson. But he's not the bully. He's not right. in Peter's face. In right. it. It's just, yeah, I mean, they'll give each other the jokes. 
but it's like and and one's one you know no no pun intended one could be a hothead maybe fly off the handle whereas you know peter's obviously more reserved and thinks about the long game and and you know he's got the whole rube goldberg thing going on in his head because he needs to know if he does that to craven is that going to make rhino run into scorpion so it's 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 there isn't so much long-term planning with Johnny as there is with, with, with Peter, but they do work so well together. Yes, they do. Okay. Um, actually, I should have a couple of Spider-Mans, but I think for me, um, <laughs> Spider-Mans, I, uh, the, there's, because when I thought about pairings, I thought about, I didn't just think about, yes, I did think about characters who I think work really well together and stories I like to read when, when they're together. But I thought about a couple of different specific stories featuring characters. And one of them is the introduction of Captain Britain to the American audience in Marvel team up. When Captain Britain, Brian Braddock shows up at ESU and, um, Peter kind of has to show him around, and it was it was it was a two parter because Arcade was the bad guy, uh, if you can call him that. And you had um, Spider Man and Captain Britain and Marvel team up. It was fifty five or fifty six or something like that. But it was it was John Byrne, Dave Hunt, Chris Claremont. Okay, so inverse, but um, and and Chris Claremont written, John Byrne pencil, Dave Hunt inked um, story whole with Murder World. I read that first, the first part of that story. I don't know how many times I owned it. I I'd love that. I'd, beat the hell out of that and i eventually finally read the second part but um i just i always remember our our introduction to brian baddock was him standing his hand out to shake peter's hand saying hello and it was just i that's just that's how i picture as great as i love to see alan davis draw captain britain with the huge broad shoulders and 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 the jaw that the blonde hair showing up over the full face mask and, and, and kind of a little bit more slender the way John Byrne drew him. And, and just that's, that's with the fucking scepter. That's, that's kind of how I envision Captain, Captain Britain mostly. And, and then I have to kind of realize the whole Excalibur run and it, it, it brings me back down. But that is, that's, that's one of my, uh, and it's not like they've teamed up a bunch of times since then, but it's just, it's, it's definitely a, a team up, a pairing that, um, that has stuck with me for a long time. Boo, I, I, since I did pairings, it's not on there. But in case we did go down a route of talking about favorite team-up issues, Marvel team-up number 65 was my number one team-up issue. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yep. So it's uh, weird. First first American appearance, Captain Britain, as you said. That's so. it. Yep. Uh, all right. So uh, I'm back up with number four, right? Mm-hmm. This probably be a shocker. Um but uh, it feels right. Uh, Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Carol Danvers, and Spider-Woman. Um, oh, nice. They're two of the Marvel uh, female her- the heroines who I have always liked quite a bit. I own complete runs of both of their OG series from back in the day. Um, you know, they, they both are certainly uh, behind my girl Domino in the Pantheon, but but very much love them and i think both have had exceptionally strong modern runs um of various periods during the last 10 15 years that we've been doing this um and as a result of that um and i gotta give bendis a bit of credit in this because he put them on the team together of avengers but 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 coming out of him putting them on the team together people like kelly sue uh people like 
um, you know, that that did that did Captain Marvel and and and, and then Spider Woman and her standalone title. Uh, they, I, I think, they were in in both of their titles. They have been each other's bestie and a recurring character. So it's it's felt very often if you read the their titles in the modern incarnations that they were teamed up on an adven- many adventures, uh, and particularly in the Spider Woman comic. So yeah, for me, I, I love their dynamic. Um, they're individually characters I quite a bit enjoy quite a bit, both historically and their modern interpretations. So my um, number four are Carol Danvers and Spider Woman. Jessica Drew. It's pretty wonderful. I, I like that, I, and I and I I especially like the fact that we are so different in our in our likes because. I mean, that would never even factor on my list. No, that's why I said I'm sure it would not. That's of the five that I have, the the first, the the fifth, and the fourth are probably the ones that would be far less likely to appear on. Say, if we polled all the listeners, and I, I would imagine that neither of those would be on many of their lists. The other three are probably a little more predictable. Right. So. Right. Well, continuing the trend, and this is the last of the Fantastic Four centric. <laughs> buddies my number four is ben Grimm and johnny storm that's a great one yeah, I, that, I, was, I, that just missed the cut for me yeah i don't think i have to explain it if you've ever read a fantastic four book you know the love these two characters have for each other and the way they display said love is more often than not abrasive towards each other so it's just a, it's a wonderful um their family their friends it's uh, I don't really need to embellish. Yeah. All right. Diggity dat. Um, I am going to go with something a little more recent, and that would be Superboy and Robin. Jonathan had Kent. to have the Super Sons. And, <laughs> you and had I to have it on there. Had to have it on there. It. Um, it, this is in no particular order because they would be very close to the top. Actually. A lot of them are vying for to, to be number one, but that is it's it was just it's it's a fantastic just pairing of of the younger version of of their dads, but the way the way Tomasi and Gleason and of course the men has drew it, but it it's they were just they were fun. They they were is because John's new at this and he is um little naive in some respects and and um of course looks up damien because damien's been doing this for a minute and is experienced and has um uh, is is more intelligent we'll, we'll say as far as a, a a tactician and and um an experienced fighter but uh as even though he's not entirely human, he definitely was the more human of the two characters. And, and uh, it was just the way they, the stories played out. And, and um, cause Damien acts a hell of a lot older than he is. And for John to bring him down and, and kind of have him look around, smell the flowers a little bit. It, it, it was a it was a book that made me it was a team that that made me um, give a crap about Damian Wayne for once. But it was um, it, it it was it was a great package with with the, with the stories that Tomasi and Gleason were telling, and of course the way Menace was drawing it. But yeah, I, I thought um, 
I thought it was a, it was a great book. I was sad to see see it end, um, but it is an awesome looking collection on my shelf, and I will revisit it um, every so often. No, no doubt about it. Nice. Uh, my number three is the only DC entry for me, uh, and that is the I hinted at a little Sapphos, and that is uh, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Um, you all know I have I worship at the altar of Jimmy and Amanda's run uh, on Harley and all the adjunct people that were involved in in their many many year run on Harley, and I also loved their Power Girl, and I loved when all of those three when Power Girl and Harley and Poison Ivy interacted, which was often. Um, but I, but I certainly, but but of those of those characters, I think the one the one pairing that's more timeless is the Harley and Ivy because they are friends with benefits. Poison Ivy is is unabashedly in love with Harley, and uh, Harley's uh, more of a devil may care, right? She's she's DTF when they feel like it, but but she's also into other things and and doesn't think of Poison Ivy as like her true love per se. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I, I when I think of of team ups, I just I always was that Harley run with them made me smile every time I read an issue. And uh, when I think of that run, I just think of those two as being a a, a duo that I'd love to see um, brought back to life at some point somehow together. Whether it be on the new DC cartoon, which I know there's been a little bit of that already, but but on a more frequent basis, or or uh, maybe on the next there there there's some hints that uh, that'll happen in this next. Um, Margot Robbie sequel that we're going to have it. I'm sure. Um, but, but either way, yeah. Um, Harley and Ivy. The, uh, the Harley cartoon returned last Friday. It did. The season. Yeah. Oh, oh damn. It. I'm way behind. I'm like halfway through the first season. Oh, All right, first cool. Season's great. Cool. Vince. Yes, sir. Next. This one's a little strange because oh. yeah, it's, it's very weird. Um, it doesn't happen very often. And more often than not, the future storylines featuring this character has her paired with Superman. Frank Miller did it. Um, they, they, they use the Uberman, the Superman, paired with Wonder Woman uh, as the, uh, the pinnacle of, of God and human evolution. And they always pair Superman and Wonder Woman together. But for my money, I love to see Batman and Wonder Woman. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, the uh, Obsidian Age. Oh, I love that run when when Wonder Woman's nursing Batman back to health, and there's that romantic slash sexual tension between the two of them. I think Wonder Woman was made for Bruce, and that's why I love in the movies, the the current DC movies, how there's there's an attraction between the two of them. You know, um, Bruce is the warrior where. Clark is the Boy Scout. I don't think the Boy Scout should be paired with a woman like Diana, who's a straight, flat-out warrior. I mean, she's a she's a merciless killer when she has to be. I think that's more in tune with Batman, and I just love the the, the interplay between Batman and Wonder Woman. So that's my number three. Okay. It's just that's this goofy... Um, I guess you can call her the romantic and me wants to see Bruce and Wonder Woman together and Diana. And no, they, I, they, they, they are more of the, they, they're kind of cut from the same cloth. A lot mm-hmm. more. I mean, yeah, you, you would, you know, 
expect to see the two beacons of light in, in most cases of Superman and Wonder Woman together, but uh it it does it does make sense for um but I mean it wasn't until really Perez that she was kind of they were honing in on the whole warrior princess aspect of it because before yeah. that it was it was the super friends and everything else and and she wasn't she they didn't show girls fight so much but um if it was I, I like that one a lot if it was down to Bruce or Clark snapping Maxwell, Maxwell Lord's neck Bruce would do it before Clark 100% yeah there's no about it. if they were in that situation that's why I think um n- not the only reason but I I think that um in terms of genetic makeup of the characters I think Bruce and Diana are are very very close. I agree. Right um, this is a team up. I don't I don't see all that often, but when I do, I, I um, a I, I not only appreciate it, but it reminds me of um, older stories where they were looking out for each other, and and that can be ironic because it's Spider Man and Daredevil. Uh, it's um I, I remember the story where Spider Man was blind and, and Daredevil was trying to teach him to hone in on his other senses, and that's also where the spider sense came into play and, and Peter had to get used to that. And um boy, at the end of that issue I really thought Peter's gonna stay blind for life, but uh, of course by the time the second issue came around, um and the story wrapped up, everything was back to the way it was. And it it's I I like that they're both the, the street level kind of character. Uh, they, I like the way they play off each other. It, it's because we all know the baggage Matt Murdock is carrying around with, uh, but they both have things to offer each other. And, and you have Ben Urich is, is kind of a, connection between the two and and of course daredevils ended up borrowing and or stealing spider-man's rogues and and it's just it's it's worked where um they're not it's because when you have someone like the human torch teaming up with 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 spider-man you get something different out of Peter and, and Spider-Man, you're not going to get the same thing when you're teaming up with Daredevil. And, and it's, um, I, I really do just kind of hone in on, on the way they, they play off each other. It's, it's one of the reasons why, why Marvel team up was absolute, an absolute favorite of mine. And, uh, it, it's one of those instances where, um, if, you know, if you can only have one comic, you know, back in the eighties, if you asked me that it was going to be Marvel team up because, Every month you're going to get at least two superheroes, and Preach. Um, and it's just it's it's one of those things where Spider-Man works well with everyone, and he can he 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 can you know, roll with the punches. He he understands what's happening, so that if he knows if 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 he's about to take on Doctor Doom, he knows that you know the game plan with Black Widow is going to be a hell of a lot different than it would be with the thing or with daredevil or with captain America. So it's, I just think that, that uh, knowing is as stiff and rigid daredevil is, um, that 
not the obviously Matt Murdock's a little older than Peter Parker, but I think I, I think Spidey's got the, the experience over him when it comes to, to the superheroics. And and I, whereas even though I, I treat them both as street level characters, um, where they're operating out of um, shows that they're not interchangeable. You can't just have Daredevil take over for Spider-Man and start swinging around Manhattan. Um, it's just, they don't, they're not, they're not interchangeable, but when you pair them up together and, and have them work out a problem, um, I, I think it kind of takes a, I was going to say, I talented may be, it, it, it takes a, a special kind of writer to be able to tell a story with those two. Cause it's not, it, it's not a Captain America and Bucky kind of situation or Captain America and Falcon where it can kind of throw them in any sort of situation and any superhero will do to, to save the day. The, the, if you're going to put Spider-Man and Daredevil in, in, in something, um, it, it, it's kind of catered to what they can do and, and kind of, so it's, it's more of a unique pairing and, and one that I kind of look forward to when we rarely, the few and far between times we get them. Nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, not surprising given your affinity for both characters. Um, all right. My number two is, um, one that, uh, no, probably not a surprise power man and iron fist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's a, a book that was at its heights when I was first getting into comics as much as it was at its heights. Uh, it's a book that we got an amazing, uh, resurrection of, uh, thanks to Sanford. Um, and David Walker a few years back, you know, one that I'm, I own a the shit ton of pages from. I liked it that much. Um, but I just think that there's just something neat. It's just so comic booky because it's, it is at its heart, a story of, of opposites attracting, right? It's, it's this, uh, you know, Luke Cage is this black guy from the streets that had a, a rough childhood that it is really only interested in protecting, the people in his community. And, uh, and then you have this rich white dude who's, uh, lived the life of, of absurd 0.1% or opulence, and then found through spirituality, a new purpose. And there's nothing about them that should make them teammates, much less best friends, except for the fact that they're teammates and best friends. Um, because <clears throat> their commonality is based on <clears throat> their innate nature to, to be good people and want to do good for others. And, and again, it's so comic booky and, and I understand it's cliche, but I also think that there's a, uh, there's a, a wonder to it that, <clears throat> you know, it's so hard to believe that that kind of thing can happen in the real world. I just, I adore the idea of it. Um, and then at the heart of it, they're, they're, I think visually also it was so well designed They're They're visually, um, complimentary and, and they just, and they have kick-ass powers too. So, um, yeah, I, I very much enjoy them and I'm always happy when they're, uh, at the forefront of the Marvel U and they, you know, they've gone periods, long periods of time where they've been, um, relatively, um, unimportant in the grand scheme, but, but it, luckily yeah. they've been at the forefront for a while now. And, and certainly the, their prominent role in the Netflix Marvel series helped a lot with that. The um that 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 is a great one. If if we weren't beyond six, if we were doing a top ten, they absolutely would be on there. The um it it, it bummed me out when it was bi- I mean it was bi monthly because of sales, but yeah, uh, it, it it was a long ass time between issues in in the eighties, and and you had um guys like Ernie Chan drawing yeah. the characters, and and then you had Jim Alzey writing it with um 
with Mark Bright on pencils and, um, you know, supporting characters like Turk and, and, um, and you had, um, crap. I shoot. Um, he was one of the other lieutenants in on, on the police force black dude in the last issue, his bike blew up in flames and he kind of just put the flames out on his own. He ended up being revealed as, as a, as a sorcerer or something. I think when burn came on, but yeah, it, it, those last issues on one twenty five. I mean, it was the stupidest and weakest, shittiest way to take iron fist out. But, um, the whole thing with captain hero as silly as it was. I really, I, from maybe issue 80 or 90 on, I was with power man, iron fist. I mean, I would read various issues here and there, but I enjoyed the last run up until, um, up until it ended, but yeah, it was that was that was a great team up. Definitely, it is good. Yep, I think this one's obvious, or at least it should be. Uh, my number four is uh, Swamp Thing and Abby Arcane. Nice. Okay. Yep. Uh, uh, well it's pretty obvious um written by alan moore the the gorgeous woman um moderately intelligent that uh (laughs) fell in love with a plant um and the uh just the way that moore fleshed out that relationship uh and pushed it into psychedelic realms uh just it, it just got to me that uh this woman who had uh, command over any man she wanted would uh, fall in love with a uh, a houseplant. Yeah. Just uh, it's it was a neat little um, look into one. I mean, they even said it in the book, like deviant um, uh, relationships. But it just felt right that uh, they could share things on an emotional level with one of them being. Um, a plant and you know the consciousness didn't matter it, it it was or the shell didn't matter it was the the life force that really mattered and and they uh i i love it it's it's the second best pairing ever in comics <laughs> i love how definitive you are that's awesome um i'll, I'll keep the dc train rolling um <laughs> what the hell um <laughs> It's uh, it's them hard traveling heroes. It's it's Green Lantern and Green Arrow. I I really, for a long time, I wasn't the biggest Green Arrow fan, and and it was um, and I, I don't know why. Maybe it was the boxing gloves arrow. I, I don't know. It, there's just something about Green Arrow that that was off to me, and um, and this was well after the. Batman ripoff version in, this, in in the Golden Age. This is, I mean, we're this is the seventies, and and I and I just wasn't wasn't in love with Ollie Queen, even though there was something neat about him. I just, I, I he was he was gruff, and and he wasn't the kind of um, character I enjoyed reading. And even after Hard Traveling Heroes, because even though I knew, I mean, I look at it now, and yes, politically, I'm way more aligned with Ollie Queen, and 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 my my thinking and the way people are treated definitely align with Ollie over, um, over Hal. But even, even when I was reading hard traveling heroes at the time, it, it didn't, 
it didn't click with me. It's like Green Green Lantern is still do no wrong and and you know don't don't be mean to him and, and it's that was as my dude and um was until later on reading issues of world's finest where uh green arrow had had a serial running through it and and um and then the miniseries and then my girl came back and it, it was just it was those things where um things started to click i got older and and things kind of made more sense and it it worked but at the time yeah green lantern and green arrow those by denny and neil it was it was something else and and they they had the you know they did their issue the drug issue without the comics code before amazing spider-man had theirs um and both were i i think the story that denny told was a little bit more harder hitting um, than because with, I mean, you, you have, you have Roy is like shooting up on the cover, whereas, and, and it's not, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of, of any addiction, but it Marvel presents, you know, Harry's like just popping pills and, and it's almost like he's kind of just tripping and it's almost the way, the way Gil is drawing it. It's, it's, it's almost like it's, it's a fun kind of trip and, and obviously it isn't, but it DC's approach was just a lot more hard hitting and, and, and I guess more real, but it, having Neil draw these two characters and, and the way they are kind of like Peter and Johnny polar opposites. It, it, it just, it, it really worked. And it, it's another situation where, I mean, Hal's always out in space and, and, it takes someone like Ollie to, you know, remind him that, you know, where he's from and, and who's, who, it's a big universe, but you know, who, who are you also, what, how are you neglecting other people where you're from? And, um, and, and with Black Canary in tow, it was, it was, it was a fun time, but it, it's, um, yeah, see, seeing those, those are as my earlier memories of, of characters who just, seem to work really well together. And I can't, it took me a long time to separate the two and, and, and see them as, as individuals. But yeah, I did green lantern and green arrow. Absolutely. One of my all time, all favorite team ups. Shocker. Yes. All right. My number one, anyone, anyone want to want to hazard a guess? Wolverine and dupe. Dan, that was number six. Oh, (laughs) Captain Marvel and, and, and Rick Jones. It's probably some X thing. Um, I'll go with Wolverine and Jean Grey. No, the only Wolverine one that was in the run, uh, running was Wolverine and and uh, and, and Nightcrawler, but uh, not uh, not LCD. Oh yes, damn it! Thank you, Albert and <laughs> LCD. <laughs> um, I mean, as much as I'd like to put Phantom X and Domino at number one, they really have rarely ever been a pair, so I don't know if that would work. Um, no, uh, my number one is Rocket and Groot. Oh, I love it. Yep, I um, That's a great one. you know it's a relatively new thing, right? Because we didn't really get them as teammates, much less besties, until the now legendary Abnett and Lanning uh, rebirth of the Marvel Cosmic. And um, as much as I think Jim Starlin deserves a tremendous amount for giving us uh, a lot of what what is still the key players of the Marvel Cosmic, I mean, from my vantage, Abnett and Lanning gave new life to it, brought it back to the forefront, and are very much, as much if not more, 
responsible for the MCU popularity of those characters um, in their depictions as we got from Starlin. But again, no disrespect to Starlin because he was the OG. But um, but yeah, I mean, Abnett and Lanning gave us this this quirky, uh, again, odd couple that was part of this quirky team where you had this gigantic tree that didn't speak a word that we could understand. And, and then you had this this little raccoon looking, you know, anthropoid that could build any weapon from seemingly he was like forge. You could build weapons from almost anything and was wisecracking and would translate for Groot. And they just had a great patois and always had each other's backs. Uh, were willing to die for each other and often were, were key in combining to save the day. Uh, I just think visually they work well. And, uh, and then over time we got other great depictions of them, including of course, uh, when Scotty wrote the, the titular title of the two of them together with amazing art by good buddy, Aaron Conley, which again is a series that I adore for lots of reasons. And I love the artwork and I love that it was Scotty and Aaron together. So yeah, just love that pairing. Um, always will. And, uh, I just, I just think it's super fun, just oddball, uh, it, you know, but buddies, buddies, there's no reason these two should be best friends and, uh, and, and, and be willing to die for each other. But yet that's exactly the relationship they have. So it's, have, us. it's like the three of us. It's true. I have to laugh though. When you say relatively new, it's 13 years. Well, again, in our world, in the world of comics, that's new, right? Like, don't you feel like we're, st- I mean, like, again, we've, we've all collectively been hardcore comic fans for on average of going on 35 years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, so that's still relatively new no? It's true. You're right. Yeah. It just seems yeah. it seems like yesterday the uh, annihilation thing erupted, yes. and it's, it's no, you're totally right. Annihilation's got to be close to twenty years old now, right? Uh, two thousand eight. So good. So okay, good. so so twelve. Okay, so yeah, yeah. All right, it's amazing. Um, my number one by a long, long, long shot. I originally had another character uh, paired with this um, uh, foul, but I thought, okay, their pa- their pairing was minuscule compared to the the pairing i eventually went with and i think the greatest pairing in big two comics to date is howard the duck and beverly switzler i i I I know you love howard but i want to hear you talk about this because i know i love howard this would have never made my list well i i originally went with howard and man thing and i was like okay that i would have that I wouldn't have been surprised by. But that was, Manthing was the instigating factor in Howard. And it didn't last, I mean, yes, there were the giant size issues. And um, he, he, for the most part, it's like a drop in the Howard bucket. It was just the thing that got him into our universe, mm-hmm. um, as memorable as it may be. But the Howard and Beverly relationship, as written by Gerber, is flat out the best to me, pairing. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons as uh, Abby and Swamp Thing, but uh, you have a, a a model, a beautiful model, who is eye candy to most heterosexual men, and she decides to get romantically involved with a duck, an acerbic, hair-trigger, pessimistic duck from another universe. It's weird. And... Uh, when I first read, I was like, what in the hell am I reading? This is unlike anything I've ever read before. And I think 
Alan Moore's Swamp Thing owes a little bit of a gratitude to what Gerber did with um, uh, Howard. It's it's my favorite Marvel comic of all time, right? Howard slash Man Thing. So how can I not go with Howard and Beverly? It's 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 this weird off kilter, uh, animalistic, uh, goofy relationship, but it works. They genuinely care for each other. And and Doctor yep. Bong. <laughs> nice. I, I just that's my Marvel book. Um, you know, yeah, we always say Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, that in reality is my Marvel book, but the one closest to my heart is Howard the Duck. Sure, sure. no, that makes absolute sense. Um, for me, my probably the the and and it's not it's not anything based on any new stories or or versions of these characters but it this is this is entirely um an emotional pick and or a sentimental pick um and and it's because of of things like like world's finest but it's superman and batman the um the 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 pre-crisis post-crisis era um that was you know the it was a Batman who wasn't always thinking about ways to take out everybody on his team if he ever had to, um, and and it was um, it was a Superman who wasn't humanized by by John Byrne. It was it was the Silver and Bronze Age versions of these characters, and um, and they were kind of stuck in in Amber for a long time. They they didn't really move with the times during those world's finest issues or even even the bronze age superman stories and in, in action of superman never really reflected what was going on in the world but as time went on and and batman got a little more gruffer especially when he left and and left the justice league to go with the batman the outsiders and and, and realize you know what he who he could depend on but but those world's finest stories um seeing the two of them sometimes robin um whether it's the silly stories where Clark dresses up as Batman, Bruce dresses up as Superman, the fool Lois Lane, the stuff. It, it's just, there's the silly stuff. And then there's the more kind of um, serious threats that, that the, our heroes are going to face. And I, um, I'm more partial to the, um, the, the dollar comic supersized anthology more than the, um, 32 page issue that just featured one story with Superman and Batman. But, um, yeah, having them having each other's backs, working on things together, realizing that, you know, one's a detective and, and, and one can lift a building. It, it's, there's, they worked well together. And, and, and some of the stories were, like I said, absolutely silly. Um, and, and some just a lot made me, remember why i enjoy reading these stories with these characters enjoy being a comic book fan but but superman and batman are, are without a doubt one of my favorite pairings yeah I'm that was yeah that was on my list too but i swapped it out for batman wonder woman that's a good one though that's yeah. a, that it's very valid but i mean they're interchangeable to a certain extent I do love the Superman-Batman pairings. So, Definitely. And, and Dap said, well, hey, let's take it one step further 
and rank our top five team-up books. So this should be easy. You don't have to do any heavy lifting and explain <laughs> There's it. really only five anyway, but yeah. Yeah, ahead. yeah. But uh, so I'll go first uh-huh. in uh, reverse order. Number uh-huh. five, World's Finest. Okay. Number four, Brave and the Bold. Number three, DC Comics Presents. Two is Marvel 2 and 1. And the greatest team-up book of all time is Marvel Team-Up. When Marvel Team-Up crossed over into 2 and 1 with that Basilisk storyline, my head almost exploded. (laughs) I was like, my worlds are colliding. This is the best thing ever. Uh, But yeah, how could you not pick uh, Marvel Team-Up as the number one? But anyway, I'm not going to, you know, lean on you. That's my, my top five. <laughs> what you got, Jason? Well, just, I mean, full disclosure, I, I mean, like you said, there was really five because we're talking about big two. And I, 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 this may be blasphemy, but I don't think I've ever read an issue of World's Finest. That's fair. I, I, yeah, that's yeah, fair. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm and, and, and I, I've maybe read two or three issues of DC Comics Presents. Um, like see, that's a crime right there. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, I wasn't, but you know, I wasn't a DC guy until what, sure. 15 years ago? Yeah, so I, I get mean, it. I, just, I get it. Well, um, now I did have read a lot of Brave and the Bold because I find that, um, I find that comic fascinating because, like, I think we give FF its due in the sense that so many characters first appeared in FF during Stan and Jack's run, you know? Yeah. It really was the Petri dish. But, like, I think the same can be said for Brave and the Bold. And yet, I don't think it's ever characterized that way. Because from issue 64 through 200, it was a Batman and someone team-up book. But what happened in those first six through three issues are fucking insane, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like, how many people would remember that the first two years were... Silent Night and Viking Prince. The, the, I mean, right? I yeah. mean, like that was like the Brave of the Bold's first two years was a team up between Silent Night and Viking fucking Prince. Like nobody remembers that. And then who also would remember that the Suicide Squad, aka Task Force X, preceded the Justice League? Oh yeah. Yep. But like that's great trivia, right? Like that. Mm-hmm. Like you would assume Justice League is the OG, and then came Justice League, obviously, then Cave Carson. Then Hawkman, then Strange Sports, and then a bunch of random team ups of different like A list characters and B list characters in the it, and then which was kind of like the then a little Metamorpho, then some Teen Titans, then you get your Batman, and then it becomes what it becomes, which is I think most people remember it as the Batman team up book. So um, even though I haven't read a ton of Brave and the Bold, I have read intermittent issues because I'm fascinated by the history of it. So that's my number three. Uh, and then, much like you, growing up a Marvel zombie, team up in two and one, uh, and I have them in the same order. I have team up number two and two and one number one. And for our somewhat maybe younger listeners, we should, if you're not, if we're not clear, uh, Marvel team up was the Spider-Man team up book. It was Spider-Man and someone or some team, and it was 150 issues. Marvel two and one was a hundred issue run, which was the thing and someone else paired up or yeah. some team. So wait, so. you put two and one at number one? Yeah. Wait, you crazy? I'm not surprised. Yeah, no, he's, he is, but yeah. Uh, you, you know, I love, you know, I like Spider-Man, but I don't love Spider-Man, right? Like, I always feel like I get enough Spider-Man. There's no such thing. No, I get that. And that's why it's your number one. And I'm sure it's Stapp's number one, but that's cool. I mean, 
Dap, how about the months I where was, here's you know what, honestly can I, <laughs> let me just let me just let me I'll be instead of being coy about it. The reason I prefer two and one is because Spider Man was an individual character. Superman is an individual character. Batman is an individual character. Right. We have spent our entire lives as superhero comic readers seeing them primarily doing their own stuff as the as the lead in the story. And then also because they are important parts of the universe, they they team up with people or appear in other people's books. The thing was at his heart always a part of a team from the start. Never right? That was his thing. And then yep. no pun intended. And then and then suddenly we're getting this dude who we knew as one of the core tenets of, of Marvel's first family pairing up. And that just seemed unique to me. It seemed strange. I, it was, it was always surprising why thing would be out on his own teaming up with someone else instead of hanging out with the fantastic four. So as a younger, as a kid, I found that more surprising each, each month when I would pick up the issue, it was, was surprising to me, you know? Right. It just was more it was more it was more unpredictable. Like it felt normal for Spider Man to team up with other people who wouldn't want to team up with Spider Man, right? But the thing it just seemed a little bit more out there for me. I get it. You know, it makes sense in a mm-hmm. in a universe where up is down. But <laughs> I I completely understand it. And I, I you know we there's no up, there's no <laughs> there, <laughs> But Dab, how about those months where you go to the newsstand and you see the masthead Marvel team up? And you're like, oh yes, and you go to grab it and it's Human Torch. Like, what the hell? <laughs> you know Who put this Human Torch in my Marvel team up? No, I I, I enjoyed those issues as well, but the, I came for the Spider Man. Yes. Yeah. Um, right, so go ahead, Dab. <laughs> You're gonna think I'm a dick now because my number five is is Marvel two and one. I oh my god! I just, yeah, okay, oh my that's god. just <laughs> woo. Yeah, I'm backing up the bus. Dee, dee, dee. I, I I just it's I listen. I I like Ron Wilson plenty. I just I don't know what it was about. Uh, I always, you know the thing is I, I I got my Philip thing in Fantastic Four because I was reading that every month thanks to John Byrne. So I you know I I never thought and and it's that's that's not fair for me to keep one of the members of the tribe down. But I never really kind of felt that like Ben Grimm was someone who could I, I didn't I didn't picture him on par with 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 say Spider Man who who's got a team up book. It's like it's the thing. It's like it's. I wasn't really feeling the thing teaming up with other Marvel characters. And, and I just knew thing as a member of the fantastic four. And if they end up seeing other characters as, as a team, okay, great. But it was just, it was weird. So I never went out of my way to get Marvel two and one. Uh, I enjoyed the annual where all the, where, where, where all the strong, strongest Marvel characters went to take on the champion. Um, and and like Jason said, Marvel two and one ended with one hundred, uh, because then it was uh, then then the thing got a solo book, got his own thing, and then of course after Secret Wars we got Rocky Grimm Space Ranger, and um, with Marvel team up after one fifty we got Web of Spider Man because God forbid there aren't three Spider Man comic books. So um, I like the thing 
as a character big time especially later on and as the years went on i, I really enjoyed the character but at the time marvel two and one just wasn't wasn't my bag um the for the same reason why i didn't have world world's finest on my list because i just keep thinking about those giant size dollar comics versions of the book where it was an anthology of a bunch of stories and um even though in later years and, and earlier on when you had superman and batman um i just think of it also including shazam green arrow vixen whoever else uh nemesis anybody that just dc had hanging around that they wanted to put in a story um they put them in world's finest so for me taking the place of world's finest is action comics the john byrne era when action comics replaced dc comics presents and it was a team-up book with superman and whoever um like superman and big bar filming a porn and and uh Superman and the Legion of Superheroes when they tried to fix what they broke and and Action Comics was a fun um team up book in a world that didn't have DC Comics presents. Uh number 3 is The Brave and the Bold and I can pretty much quote a bunch of Batman stories over the years of of Brave and the Bold and um I definitely like that book plenty, especially the Jim Amparo art. Um, they had Batman teaming up with Karate Kid, who came to visit from the future because he wanted to see his his old girlfriend from when he was last here, and and when he had his short running comic book series, and and it was just there was some weird, kind of like the thing meeting Marvel characters you wouldn't expect. In the thing. Like you wouldn't think Batman's going to team up with Karate Kid, um, but but there you have it. So Brave and the Bold. Definitely, um, or Commandy, or Commandy, yeah. And but I, on the same at the same time, my second part is is uh, my number two is DC Comics presents, and and you had you know Superman teaming up with Swamp Thing, and um, or or the Unknown Soldier, and yeah, it's 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 weird to see like you know, Superman or Batman teaming up with the Haunted Tank, but there you have it. And and DC Comics presents, I. Because Superman's front and center, and everybody else is is just kind of popping in, and and I mean, but it, it's hard for me to not think highly of a series that starts off with a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez story with, with Superman and the Flash, and uh, and some weird looking aliens that's two printed. I it's a two parter. Yeah, I first read it as a Whitman comic book um, from a grab bag, and and the the alien freaked me the hell out for some reason and uh-huh. i just and 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 seeing seeing superman getting like you know lifted up off of the off the ground and and just kind of looking almost like it like, like a spaz on the cover i just it, it freaked me out but i loved it and and of course it's garcia lopez so it looks gorgeous but yeah number one without a doubt um is is marvel team up with, with spider-man and the entire marvel universe and even when he's not in it like with golden oldie and Franklin Richards and uh, <laughs> one of my my all time favorite Marvel team up stories is is a bullshit story because it's Spider Man and Mister Fantastic and the reason it's a bullshit story is because it's 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 marketed as a part two because part one was the previous issue with Spider Man and Fantastic Four the Spider Man and Mister Fantastic story 
was the Fantastic Four, the rest of the Fantastic Four was kidnapped. So Reed enlisted Spidey to help me go save them. And all throughout the issue, um, Spider-Man ain't acting right. And it's, it's, um, and there are little things that like, even as a reader, you're like, well, that, that doesn't make any fuck. Is it like Spider-Man jumps up and sticks to the ceiling with his back. And even as a reader, you're like, no. And, and, and Reed's just going along with it. And, and there's other things like the way Spider-Man's webs kind of shot out. And, um, there was a fire. There was a fire that broke out, and Reed's like, okay, quick, use your webs to smother the flames. He's like, no, no, I don't want to waste my webs. And he just he picks up dirt and, like, throws dirt on the fire and, like, puts it out that way. And finally, when you get to the end of the issue, Reed um, was basically playing along the whole time. Dr. Faustus, of all people, was the big bad of the issue. And, and it was basically to kind of, like, you know, prove his superior intellect over Reed Richards. And Reed's like, yeah, I, I knew that. That wasn't Spider-Man, like, from Jump. And and it was just some, like, some actor who had a suction cup on his back, which showed you. But the whole issue was designed, basically, <laughs> so that the readers would send in a fucking no prize. and Or, or demand their no prize by, by letting the, the editors know everything that Spider-Man did that Spider-Man cannot do. And and it was and it's a Salbushima drawn issue. Um, Ernie Chan cover nuts. Yes. Yep. Uh, no. 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 Paul Smith. Paul Smith. It's not the one with the pterodactyl uh, on the cover. No. It's 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 all white with with Reed stretching towards you and Spider Man kind of swinging. Um, it's, <laughs> so so it, it was it was it was the dumb story. But it, so it wasn't even a Spider Man story. But it, it had the Marvel Team Up logo on it. But yeah, and 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 that annual with um uh with Alpha Flight and and that freaky story that that i wrote about on 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 the website where um it was upstate new york and a bunch of heroes were taking on uh like black panther shows up and and it's a small little upstate new york town and everybody's and and this guy's watching the news and seeing it all and it it was a story that that stuck with me and, and and freaked me out at the time because it wasn't your traditional superhero tale um but it was penciled by david Kelly, so it looked great but um yeah i i absolutely love Marvel team up without a doubt. True that. Nice. There you go. So there's our list. That's our, our list. Top five duos. That's crazy. The entire episode, Batman Universe and favorite pairings. No, we got it. We we can't wrap up yet. I'm not saying we should because we still have yeah, to talk about we have to talk about Atomic Hercules. So why yes, why don't you exactly. bring them through that? Yeah. Well, so what's that? Yeah. No, no, no. I didn't know if we wanted to. I didn't know if we were ending with a toast or if we were going to no we're gonna we're gonna end with it that's fine because there's nothing there's nothing to bring us back up to it from because i mean it's all good shit so it's fine yeah yeah yeah. um so you you've all heard us mention uh tony esmond over the years and and quite a bit recently because tony's doing some uh work with well working for i should say no brow and we've been Marking out a no brow the last years too, and um, but we also talked about Tony prior to his life as a person in comics publishing. Uh, he's he's just a longtime friend and listener of the show, and was even a guest on the show way back when, along with Mark Laming, after uh, one of the New York Comic Cons. But um, Tony has been also delving into um, creation of comics, and we talked about his last project, which was. Uh, he also had uh, Sarah Harris, our good friend, participate. Where 
Tony's Tony was a cop in a, in another life, and uh, and and he did an awesome comic where he was basically interviewing uh, interviewing different uh, prostitutes about their existence. But uh, more recently, he solicited through Kickstarter um, a single issue uh, comic written by himself with art by Adam Falp, F-A-L-P, called Atomic Hercules. Uh, and said comic was successfully funded and uh, printed, and the, we all got our copies and read it. And I thought – I haven't talked to you guys about this at all, so I don't know what you think. But, excuse me, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um. <laughs> It is, you know, I mean, Tony's art style is um, really Vince. You'd be talking about this more than I do because this is like a Vince looking comic if there ever was one. Um, it is just pure. Um, it, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when we way back were first talking about Ben Mara. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and debating whether or not he was serious or a parodying himself, right? Because like there is a childish childishness to the art and the story, yeah. But that's exactly the point. This is Tony and Adam's love letter to the absurdity of comics, and that we all need to not take ourselves and the medium as seriously as we often find ourselves doing. And uh, you know, I don't know that we need to recap the story per se because <laughs> it's pretty straightforward, right? It's a post-apocalyptic version of Earth. For some reason, there's one demigod along a bunch of mutants, and it's Hercules, <laughs> and he hates he hates his existence. He hates his life. It opens with him at a bar full of mutants getting a blowjob from a green mutant <laughs> at the bar, and the bartender's like, really, dude? Like, come on, bro. And, uh, and, and from there, he gets, he gets, he gets uh, basically blackmailed and enlisted into working for uh, a mutant rebel front. But before he does that, he puts up a fight, and he's he's ripping off, he's biting off hands, and you're seeing the bones and the blood spiral. <laughs> he's, he's beating people with the bloody stumps. He's 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 kicking people in the you know in the dicks. He's beheading people. He's he's uh, poor grabbing. Brian. Yeah, yeah, Brian, who's like this this ghoulish like zombie looking dude who's also now getting a blowjob from the same woman who who blew Hercules. He he uses Brian, and he 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 takes Brian. And he grabs him by the neck, and he 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 impales uh, one of the soldiers through the eye with Brian's uh, hard hard on. Uh, so <laughs> he gets impaled by a dick. Um, it's just it's just stupid. It's dumb. It's silly. It's sophomoric. It's puerile. It's it's and it's ridiculously fun. Yes. Um, yeah. And then Hercules eventually gets coaxed into, uh, even though he's fighting and kicking all their asses, he eventually acquiesces because they threaten to kill the bartender. So he begrudgingly leads this group of, of mutant soldiers into a fight with effectively what are Terminators. They're like the Terminator robots. And, uh, you know, they all basically get wiped out except for Hercules. And, and he's he's uh, we're kind of left with a cliffhanger in the first issue of Hercules uh, getting ready to square off against a gigantic uh, one of these robots. Uh, and he says, well, you're a big cunt, ain't you? Um, and, and for those that have ever met Tony Esmond, this is Tony as Hercules. Uh, visually and 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 uh, conceptually, he says so in the back on the letters page. I mean, this is basically them doing a stupid Bronze Age off the charts indie comic where he is he is Hercules, um, and it's exactly what it sounds like. And and 
Adam is masterful with the art. It's it's ridiculous and over the top, and it's very much like we said with Ben Mara back when he was first starting. It's evocative of the kind of comics a lot of us tried to scrawl in our notepads when we were being silly as kids, um, you know. And and there's 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 dicks everywhere, and there's 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 crazy mutants, and the anatomy's wonky, and and there's not much symmetry, but there's day glow colors and there's big explosions and blood and guts and curse words. And it's just a it's just a love letter to the to the really to the homage that Vince is, has said so many times of yours, which is comic should be ridiculous. Yep. And this is a ridiculous comic in all ways. And it works and it's fun. And, you know, if you have any even if you have a, a quarter of an inch of a stick up your ass, you're not going to like this. You're going to poo poo it. But if you can just remember that comics are supposed to be silly and fun and 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 just make us smile then that's exactly what this does and i i have to tell you you know we have gotten we we have been given uh graciously given many many comics over the years by friends and acquaintances and we have pimped and kickstarted many comics by friends and acquaintances and you know let's be honest sometimes they're not that good you know sometimes they're just labors of love and you you back them and talk about them cuz you want to support your friends uh, this is just the opposite of that. Well, no, not just the opposite, but this is not that. This is this is a comic written by a friend, but it's also absolutely a joy in everything he said it would be. And I truly, truly hope, because I haven't talked to him about this, I hope they got enough backing and interest in this that they'll be putting out subsequent issues because I need to see what happens next. Yes. I, I can't believe, after, well, after all of that, you left out one of the best characters in comics ever. And that is noodles. <laughs> I can see why they call you noodles, huh? He's like, yeah, my girlfriend's a looker. <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah. on on so many levels. But um, no, the uh, Jason was was speaking towards the art, and I totally agree. There's a faux uh, naivete here, but. Falp is an accomplished illustrator. You could tell. Yeah. That, no, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. The, it's uh, meant to look like it's a kid just drawing crazy shit, but it's, it's obviously yeah. composed by someone who could draw a very normal-looking comic if he wanted to. Right. Uh, but it's filtered through that Alexi Zirit uh, lens where let's use yeah, day yeah. the day-glow background colors and the you know the massive panels and, and just the, the raggedy, scratchy line. I... I I love it. Uh, I the the one thing that I I saw initially going in was the the brush marks on some of the background panels, and I was like, mm, "Wow, uh, I uh, I I don't think I would have done it that way," but it works, and that's the thing. It's it's there's a um, a haphazard immediacy to it. Uh, a feigned haphazardness it's obviously calculated but it's it's so loose and so breezy that it's it's just a joy to read um and that's the thing would you rather wait a year for a single issue by p craig russell where everything is is laid out with the utmost precision and elegance or would you rather something like this where it's immediate and and um it, there, there's a, a a lifeblood to this issue that I love P. P. Greg Russell, but a lot of his stuff looks very, very um, staid. Like it's elegant, yes, but there's there's no thump 
right? There, there's no visceral blood pumping it. It's it's all very proper and it's very much um, the the theater, right? This is Harry Novak and big tittied bitches, right? <laughs> the, this is the puerile stuff that I'm going to remember this far longer than I would the more that and this is with quotes around it the more accomplished stuff this is the stuff that really gets my blood moving oh sure yeah, yeah. i can't this is made for you yes Sorry. and and i i got to thank tony and adam this is just it was a godsend that uh definitely one of the best kickstarters i ever supported mhm when you get a product like this that just makes your day and sticks with you for uh pretty much forever are you, are you ever going to forget a guy being impaled on a on a dick <laughs> through the eye like come on that's just it's brilliant and it's so silly and stupid but i i, I just love it this thing man i can't speak high, highly enough of this thing it's just amazing and i'm not kissing ass right it, none of us are it, if it if it I mean, we would we would report and move on, but this is not something that you just gloss over. It, the 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 fallout from this book is significant in in, in my life because I'm going to remember it. When you read thirty, forty, fifty comics a month, right? They tend to evaporate from memory. I don't see oh, yeah. the, I don't see this doing that. That says no, something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we got a free drawing with it yes we did yes uh, you guys got the ken Landgraf um cover too yes yep oh so beautiful right it is it is absolutely and i got a crime destroyer for my for my drawing i got a battle damage spider-man nice you know what i got mm. dupe <laughs> it's a freaking freaking dupe <laughs> Space potato. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, we, I mean, we got many, many other things. To, so, but keep, are you going to say something about it before we? No. Oh, no, no. keep your eye on this team, Tony Esmond and Adam Phelp. Yes. They got sure. the, and there's a legacy. Too, to the cover treatment, at least on the standard issue, how they use the DC uh, bar going across the top and the little date uh, in a white rectangle. Like, that's pure DC. Yeah, 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 yeah. Love yep. it. Love it, love it, love it. And sea monkeys on the back. And how, sea ma- how many current readers are going to understand what friggin' sea monkeys were? You had to have lived it, right? That's true. Dot patterns galore, eye searing color. It's a beautiful product beautiful mm-hmm. tis true what else do we have gentlemen um i let's see well you didn't read teenage ninja turtles 104 yet so we won't talk about that um penultimate issue to, what were you gonna say penultimate issue no i said so we won't talk about that but i um i have been picking up and reading through not in any sort of order, because right now I'm halfway through issue number eight, and then I'll go back to number six. But um, I read issue number seven of Now 
from Fanta Graphics. And Hi. this particular um, issue had one freaky freaking story about uh, uh, called Fred is Fried by Nick Thorburn, and it is one trippy ass story. But um, but yeah, I just. I decided to sense now has it, it, it. I can pick up an issue, read a story, and then move on to something else. I don't have to sit down and and just. I mean, you can very easily sit down and just read through an issue, but I, I like I like now so that I can read a story, get something out of it, put it down, go on to um go on to something else. But but number eight has um. It's got a gorgeous Al Columbia cover, but um, those are some long stories in the eighth issue. I don't know if you've read the eighth issue yet. But in my box. Okay. Did you know that the James Romberger in issue seven teaches at the same university that I do? No kidding. Yep. Romberger's great. Uh, the drawing on this uh my french sucks but it's uh a jour de hui is that how you pronounce it i don't know but um the uh, it's 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 a gorgeous story the illustration is just fantastic it really is um a lot of these stories are very very personal um yeah. so your mileage may vary but the story that i really glommed onto in issue 7 was uh the cherry season by El Don yes. Guillermo. Yeah. Yes. Uh, basically, a guy setting up um, a photo shoot in, in his backyard. And he's got a chair sitting next to a tree. And um, he calls for his model. And uh, Madeline, his model, comes out. And she's not wearing any pants. She got, she got no pants on. No pants. And he's like, what the hell? Why do you have no pants on? And she's like, well, you told me I could wear whatever I want to wear. And he's like, but you don't have any pants on. It's it's weird. It just doesn't make sense. And she's like, I don't care. I, this makes me feel good. I want to take my picture without any pants on. So um, he starts setting up the shot. He's reluctantly. He's like, all right, do what you want to do, whatever. I really would rather if you got dressed. But what's going to happen when my neighbors see this? And on cue, this old woman... Uh, the neighbor comes over and she's looking um, at what's going on and she's she's up there in age. So he's guessing, he's assuming that she can't see very well. And she's got, I got some cherries from my garden. You want some cherries? He's like, no, I don't want to hear damn cherries. I, I just don't. So the, the woman is, um, she inquires about what's going on. And uh, she's like, is that your fiance? And, and the story progresses, but uh, long story short, the woman makes suggestions to him on how to frame his shot that that bear fruit. He's like, yeah, that that'll work. Um, and in the end, there's a, a a bit of a I don't know if it was intended. Maybe it was. There's a bit of a time slip in that the old woman comes out and takes a selfie in her backyard and arranges it exactly like the photographer did without pants and the similarity between the two women 
is astounding. Mm-hmm. So we're, we may be led to believe that either the old woman is reliving or or making memories based on this younger generation or this Madeline eventually grows into this older woman. It's just a really neat story. I mean, it's 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 light. You don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting, but there's a, a little bit of a a dotted line drawn at the end that gives you a little bit more fodder for thought. And that's what I love about now, that every one of the stories in, in this anthology, they'll always give you a little bit more to chew on than what you're assuming you get from the surface level. I think Fantagraphics is on something really good with this. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. Yeah, there's not an anthology being published today that could even come close to comparing with this. Did Jason get cut off? No, he stepped away for a second. He's here. No, I'm back. I'm oh, back. yeah. I had, to, uh, I had to, yeah, I had to let the dogs out. Yeah, pull the Chris. Um, oh, stop. <laughs> I had to go, dude. <laughs> he did. But I'm gathering from jumping in halfway, you're talking about the now anthology. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and exactly what you're saying is is how I felt about um, between December and March, which uh, is by Kurt um, Ankeny. And I wanted to make sure I got the because it's it's script it, it's written in script on on the title page. But uh, what's great about now is the back is the back covers the contents, so you get. Um, who it's written by, who, who, who the creator is, and and the uh, the name of the story. But th- this looks, it, it's all colored pencil, um, and it's it's basically a story about a girl who finds out. Um, her mom finally tells her uh, she she's in college, and, and her mom tells her who her um, no, basically that her father was just like some dude she had a one night stand with, and um, the daughter looks for finds finds her father and ends up not. Um, they make arrangements to go meet each other and, um, and, and she's late and turns out that she's just like watching him. She, she's in a parked car on the corner and, and he's on the, he's outside the coffee shop, having his coffee, waiting for her. Um, and, uh, and the coffee shop is also a bar, so he's not only just drinking the coffee, but uh, she ends up driving away. She just watches him and, and drives off, and uh, she's got some conversations that actually feel like real-world, actual, honest-to-God. I've heard these conversations before with with, uh, with her college schoolmate, and um, and it's just... The story just ends. It, it, it's not... I mean, some of them are... are shown presented in a way where you know you could actually see it picking up the next issue or, or, or the story continuing but that ain't that ain't happening what what you're getting here is is pretty much on the page i mean you you will get you will get repeat creators like no van skyver's pretty if he's not in every issue he's just about in almost every issue um and and i enjoy i enjoy his stories as well but yeah it's it is really uh there's there's a pinocchio story in in issue number seven which is freaky as hell um and and that's and freaky is the way you can describe a few of the stories as as over the course of the issues but yeah i um i'm absolutely uh still loving now yeah they're on to something here 
Sweet. Yeah, it's going to go down as one of the all-time best anthologies. Uh, value for the dollar, it's it's what a hundred pages for ten bucks. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think one of them went up to twelve ninety nine. It may have been number eight, um, but for the most part, they've been uh, under ten bucks, and you get a ton of content. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of it is very subjective. It's yeah. it up for interpretation, which is great. Um, I don't always like to be led by the hand and told what to what to think or what to feel. Where they leave things open, you can just you can let your mind wander and 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 um, go where you want to go uh, more often than not. And the, just the execution is just across the map, gorgeous. Colored pencil, straight out pen and ink, traditional um, approach to comics. You got watercolor, some graphite stuff. It's just great. It's 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 a virtuoso anthology. I'm curious to know what you think about number eight when you read it. At least, especially the first couple stories. I love the frog on the cover. Yeah, it's a beautiful look. It's a nice looking not just frog. A frog. Well, it's not just a frog with a crown, because the crown is actually a, a seat with, with 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 two little characters on the frog's head. Yeah, it's a, it's a smart, sweet cover. What else? I do believe we have another team up. What's this? This would be something by the phenomenal Mike Allred. God um, damn. Right? It's um, it's the Dark Horse Force miniseries by Michael Allred, Laurel Allred, uh, letters by Nate Picos, and it is X-Ray Robot. Um, and it is... I, you're kind of thrown into it right right from right from the beginning and and we're introduced to characters who um some you're gonna like some some you're not gonna like uh there's there's a very um kind of married but also married to his work kind of that that that's your lead character that that's your in air quotes mad scientist um the uh and and Max is the leader of um, of this think tank of 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 the scientists working on um, working on this this robot, and uh, Max needs to hit up the benefactor for some more money. And and when uh, when he's about to do that, um, he's about to go ask Mister Reynolds for some money, and he walks around the corner and he sees mr reynolds feeling up marnie i mean hand all up on the bosom and uh she (laughs) she pushes his hand away and lay off and storms away and and max is like what was that about and and um Reynolds is like uh oh dr wilding i um I, i i never minded he's all he's a little bit ashamed of his actions not really sure what what max saw but he's not going to um belabor the point or 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 dwell on the situation so so max is like we have a lot to talk about and he walks away follows up follows marnie and um and he's like listen you know i don't know what the hell i I, i'm not trying to pry but you know are are you okay i just you know i not sure what i saw what i walked into but i i I just want to um i 
this place is really important to me and I want to make sure that everything is okay with everyone. And she's like, oh, well, you just wait right here. And she storms off. She goes up to Reynolds, smacks him. And she says, some might call that unnecessary violence. And she smacks him again. And a third time. And she says, and some might call that overkill. But at least you might have had a tiny taste of the pain your sleazy propositions make me feel. Um, because you got sloppy and, and I got a witness. So um, so are you going um, to give me what I want? Or do I, um, do I take my concerns to, to interested parties? And he's like, okay, no, 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 fine. You're on the team. And, um, and that's what that was about. So we got a couple of pages of just being introduced to another, another character in, in a very, um, you might say, interesting way. But um, it helped me. It worked with the pace of this book. I, I, I liked it. It wasn't just a straightforward, here's the team. This is how we all met. Or this is, you know, we're just already established. I mean, we we, we got some story about how some of the characters behave. Um, so I like the fleshing out of, of meeting this team and, and, and who these people are. Uh, so, so the team is putting together the robot, um, getting ready for the launch. And... Um, he Max was on his headgear and um and and the robot is ready to go out and take his first step in a new dimension. Um and there's a whole bunch of freaky special effects and and um the robot kind of just disappears and Reynolds is like, wait, is was that supposed to happen? And um, it's not really sure what was supposed to happen. Then the robot reappears, um, and Max takes his headgear off, and he's like, "This is great. This worked because everybody that was in the lab is still there. Everything looks normal, except Marnie comes running up and plants a big one right on Max's lips, and he's like, "What the hell's going on?" and when he looks past Marnie, he sees his children looking a little different. He sees his wife kind of arm in arm with Mr. Reynolds. He's he's completely, things definitely don't look like the way they were a few seconds ago. And he rubs his eyes and now everything's back to the way it was. His children look normal and, and, uh, and his wife is ready to congratulate him. And it was just, it was a very trippy situation. And and throughout the rest of the issue, Max still seems to have instances where things aren't really the way they're supposed to be. Uh, back at the lab, they, they make some tweaks to the robot. Um, and it's just gets even I don't want to say more trippy but it I'm not really trying to go any further with with, with with spoiling anything or going too far into it it's just it's things just happen in this things are happening that I absolutely I, I'm, I'm a big fan of alternate universes and and 
time travel to a degree, but but seeing the, the mirror universe or Earth Two, and and just just anything that that's an alternate and Fringe. I mean, I loved Fringe for this reason. They're, they're just if you if you throw if you're establishing something in a story, and then all of a sudden you you switch it because just something is a little off in a parallel world. Um, you've kind of you, you've kind of got me for the duration, and and that's that's a small section of of what we've experienced in this first issue. But um, I know you guys will go farther into it, but I mean, just whatever's going, whatever's happening, um, I am completely down for my. I love the story Mike's telling, but this this looks it also looks amazing, and 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 Albright has. He's a phenomenal artist, but um, there's something about this that I just, I don't know what it is about this particular issue, uh, having recently read um, Ecstatics. But even before that, I mean, he he, he drew Forager, and he's, he's, he's been busy. We, we know what Mike Allred's art looks like, but there's just something about X-Ray Robot that I, I, I am absolutely in love with with the work on, on these pages. But what did you guys think of the issue? Jason, you want me to go? Yeah, go ahead. Jump. Yeah. Well, I, I was a sucker for the, the instigating factor that you had this think tank that was supposedly investigating human longevity, but uh Oh, our experiments produced, uh, traces of in, interdimensional travel. So they set out to do one thing, and they ended up opening Pandora's box. And that's where the issue gets weird, where the experiments, like David said, when um, Max comes back from the, uh, comes out of the first experiment, and um, he's, he's kissed by a woman that's not his wife. So, in, in, meaning in, in, a, in a parallel or alternate dimension, those two were an item. His, his wife doesn't, I don't know why there was kids in the, the experiment room, which is weird to me, but whatever, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, young kids that this, this reality slowly or quickly melts away because he puts his hands over his face. Like, ah, what's going on? And he, he removes his hands and then everything's right. The wife, uh, the children recognize him as their father where three panels ago, the children were white and now they're, their mixed race uh, you know it's just so it's there there's there's layers here that all the are they're experimenting with where uh relationships bubble to the surface and descend based on this this whole interdimensional travel thing they got going on and and it's cool because it opens the door for to propel the storyline because at the end someone comes to him and says yo stuff's going down and we need your help. And he comes from another dimension. So it's 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 the classic sci-fi setup, right? I, I thought it was great, but it's 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 all contingent on Allred's um, artwork. I mean, he yeah the yeah. the the uh, the vintage quality to his work, where yes, we we're well aware that it's contemporary, but there is a vintage sensibility to his work, of uh, akin to that of the old masters. Like Wally Wood. I'm not saying they're stylistically similar, but the approach that 
that workmanlike, super rendered uh, approach to uh, the human form and designing um, outlandish, fantastic um, costumes and sci-fi bric-a-brac, right? The, the machinery and stuff. Allred is a man out of time. Uh, he, well, how I don't know, what is he in his 40s, early 50s maybe? But he seems to come from a bygone age in, in his, you, his approach to, to, to drawing. I agree with that. Um, are you aware of the documentary? His, uh, his son is... Yeah, yeah, is it done? I... It, it, there's a Kickstarter for it. I don't know. I don't think it's done because the money will go towards um, um, enhancing the film, and I think maybe um, making sure all I's are dotted and T's are crossed. But um, but I don't know he's been working on it for a little while now. But yeah, and I I, I didn't I wasn't aware of um, of uh, I don't want to say it's an issue. There's there's. Um, an incident, maybe. It, uh, I'll 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 look it up. But 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 yeah. Um... Remember when um, Marvel used to put another Marvel pop art masterpiece on their covers, or was it pop art classics? They used the pop art um, term on the covers back in the 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 late sixties, uh, mid to late sixties. Allred is a descendant of that aesthetic, mm. definitely. Sure. Where he he approaches each panel as an individual image, not a, a link in a chain where some guys are just trying to get through the sequentials. Every panel that Allred renders is a crucial component to the whole, whether it's talking heads or just people in a room or or whatever. It, it's it's another facet in the whole. It's not a stepping stone to the end. It's it's a very crucial component to the whole piece, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's what I love about Allred. I mean, his his approach to comics is being fifty some years old. This is what this was my steady diet as a, as a kid. Comics like this, where it was it was there's there's a a level of accomplishment that yes, it's in line with older comics but it's it's he somehow managed to to take that 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 older uh, vintage approach to comics and make it look not only vintage but contemporary as well nobody else does this maybe i shouldn't nobody living does this darwin could do it yeah there's something about i mean allred i think is of that school where a lot of his men and women look the same like he he a lot of the faces are on model. Really, what differs is their outfits or their hair. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no. I'm sa- I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying, but like I, Do- Terry Dodson does it too. It's you know, like there are panels in this where where Wilding and his the other scientists with the gray hair are standing next to each other. They pretty much have the same face, just one has flowing gray hair and and one has dark, smooth combed hair. But but the thing is, is they're all they have these giant eyes that peer into the soul, and they have these dark outlines around the facial features that just make them so distinct. And uh, there's a, a preciseness to his drawing that uh, that is, it's, it's almost like you can't take your eyes away from it. And right. I, and I almost think like how I just always, every time I look at his work, I think how long did it take for him to do this? Like, like it just seems like he, I know he, I mean, by all accounts, he's a pretty fast guy, but it seems like he just 
I, I could just picture him tr- do, redoing the same line over and over again until it's just right. I don't think that's the way he works. I think it's much more flowing than that. But it, but I, but it just it looks so precise. Um, and yeah, I mean, you guys hit on it. I think this is a this is the first issue's familiar ground. Um, it's it's just familiar ground that's really well executed and and well executed and it's and the familiar ground is a subject that uh, from the sound of it we're all fans of I know I certainly am I mean whether it be things like like Dap said you know this idea of of, of j- like minor tweaks to our reality and how how minor tweaks can be really significant uh, as you peel back the layers is always something I think that's been uh, uh, of interest for a lot of people it's a it is a classic sci-fi trope and that's why things like Marvel Exiles, or oh, I always enjoyed that, or, or or the TV show Sliders back in the day with Jerry O'Connell, like oh, just, yeah. just you know, like I mean, I'm not saying any of those are high art, but the idea of of zapping into a reality that at first seems exactly like our own, and then you look around and you're like, oh shit, no, no, it's it's not, and and what does that mean? Um, so yeah, so I'm all about that here, and and like you said, Vince, I think the mastery here is that first panel when he's kind of flashing back. And it's almost like when you're a kid and you have the in the highlights, you have the, the picture and then it says, which what's what seven things are different about this picture from the one on the left? Yeah, it, it's like there's just these little subtle differences. Like Dap said, the 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 way his wife is kind of leaning in to to the boss and it looks like the boss is cradling her back and the, and the, yeah. the, the, the kids he's, are he's grabbing her ass. Yeah. And the kids are Caucasian instead of, of mixed race and 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 the and that and that. Uh, is it Marnie or Marcy? The, the, Marnie. the yeah, that she goes in for the kiss as though they're dating, as though they have a relationship, and and it's just all those little things that that if you're just kind of rushing through this book, you might not even notice. You might just think like, oh, that's weird. I wonder if he's having an affair with her or something. But um, but it's not that right, and that's why he freaks out. And then there's that one page where where it zaps into the the ethereal, and, and it's him and the robot, and, and you know this double page splash. Where it just goes from this impeccably tightly drawn, very precise, pretty world of people in lab coats to this absolute explosion of of, of psychedelia, and and it's nice to remember that Allred has that zaniness in him too when he wants to. Yeah. Um, you know, I would. I, I'm sure you. I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I would love to own that page. Uh, he doesn't really sell his art, but I would. That's a beautiful, beautiful page, um, or pages, I should say. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's four issues, right? So we're—I mean, it's—it's going to be—I don't think we're going to get too many layers to this. It's going to be what it is. Um, but I thought it was an absolute home run. Uh, and and if anything, an issue like this makes me a little uh, bummed that we just don't get stuff from artists like him all the time. You know, uh, just just from a selfish perspective. Um, but you know, then I said that, and then I thought I was going to—I had this in my nose, but then I thought about it, like he's actually been an incredibly consistent creator for a long time now. Like he, he's actually done so he's been working at Marvel pretty much nonstop. You know, it's just that, I don't know, maybe it's something about it. It's, it doesn't quite rise to the same level of excitement for me when he's drawing Marvel stuff. And, and again, it's beautiful stuff. I mean, his run on silver surfer with slot was awesome, but, but yeah, I just I, there's something when he does his own stuff and gets to have a little more creative freedom. It's it's special. I would either I would pick either of the countdown pages if I had a chance to buy this art. Mm-hmm. Either mm-hmm. of those. the The first mm-hmm. one he uses a technique that we don't see very often from him. The 
explosion of lines, real, real ratty, scratchy, um, technique around the, the robot that's warping out. And just the other one, uh, with the overlays and the, the invis, the see through, the visible man Mm -hmm. type thing Mm -hmm. where you can see the skeleton and the organs and the Mm -hmm. brain. Like, oh my God, these, just please, just, this is the pinnacle. He's the pinnacle. He really is. And and we shouldn't give short shrift to Laura, his wife. No, first, no, she's great. Because Laura has a distinct color palette that makes, like, it, it is as much a part of what I think of when I think of Mike Allred art, which is this pop, flat color palette that just works with him. And, and, and another colorist who does more realistic shading and light sourcing, I think would would diminish nah, they kill it. aesthetic. Yeah, they'd kill right? it. But if yeah, you if so. you notice, she um had been using like a pencil layer to mm-hmm. add a little bit of texture to the color. There's none of that here. All this color yeah. is basically flat. Yeah, with, very, yeah, this is with very comp- flat. with um various tones within mm-hmm. groups of tone, but right. uh for the most part it's flat and oh, yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, it it's and they they work extremely well together. We've always known that. But, I mean, he also has to have um, – there's, there's a lot of trust there because he's partially colorblind. So for him to oh, – whatever, right, yeah. whatever he has to – whatever he tries to, I guess, explain. I mean, he, he, can, he can see and appreciate. He just has a hard time. Telling some apart, I guess, is, is is the best way to say it. So he's not completely colorblind, but yeah, if he has if he has a plan for something, uh, and and he's explains what he's aiming to do, and and she does it, and 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 he may have to take her word for it, but obviously, it's 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 a situation. It, it's, a, it's a collaboration that works extremely mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Well, who better you know, to th- you be your safety net than someone uh, to whom you're married? No, for sure. Yeah, I um, I, I own that that beautiful oversized hardcover collection of of Madman, and I, I, I need to read it because there's there's never been a thing I've read of all read that I didn't adore, and yet his seminal work, his most pe- work he's most passionate about. I I just I own the whole thing, and I I haven't read it, so I need to remedy that. There's a fold out. Mm. What? There's a fold out. It's awesome in the book. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's great. the The last issue is so freaky. I don't know how one one man accomplished it, but you you read it. God damn, I might have to rise that up the Virgin pile. Yeah, it's here. nuts. It's it's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. So the um, the documentary is called Space Face, and it no looks surprise. like it was um, it was it was successfully funded, and it looks like it ended. Uh, Tuesday, yesterday or Tuesday, um, and yeah, so it, it's been funded. Basically, it's 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 um, it's directed by Han Allred, his son. Um, features interviews with uh, folks like Kevin Smith and Bendis, Matt Fraction, Joel Jones. Basically, um, Mike Allred has periodically endured extreme episodes of existential anxiety and psychological suffering. The first episode occurred at the age of five. He has continued to experience them with varying intensity roughly every five years since then. And the episodes are reminiscent of an out-of-body psychedelic trip brought on solely 
by existential questions of infinity, space, and meaning. These episodes have deeply impacted his psyche and consequently the work he has put out into the world, most notably his creation, Madman. So wow. It's, 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 if it wasn't apparent, uh, yeah, for the most part, Michael Ritz creator owned work that is extremely personal. Awesome. Neat. All right. I got to look into that. Hope it's produced soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. All right, everybody. Yow, that was a long one. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please solicit our sponsor because they are the absolute best. And remember, it's Dark Horse Month in a, in a world where there's uh, uncertainty on the uh, future uh, viability of the floppy. I featured three of them. Uh, Barbalian, Red Planet number one from the Black Hammer universe, Lady Baltimore number one, and You Look Like Death, Tales from the Umbrella Academy number one. All from Dark Horse, all of Dine Nine Nan. DCBService.com. In your travels. In your travels, we're, we're um, we okay. are off. the final tag team of of the evening oh what is um, this we are we are all going to celebrate the life of more trucker as a team oh yes that's good oh you had another i did but i didn't see where we were going to do the trucker as senior travels where'd we put that well, we got to do it got to be in, done in this guy I mean, oh i see it yes it. the man deserves it yeah it's true it's true um what do you say about Mort Drucker, a guy that's been with us since uh, our early childhood, who has shaped um, the way we perceive pop culture and the way we interpret it? Uh, the man was second to none in uh, caricature. There's nobody better than Mort Drucker. He could capture a likeness not only uh, in the one-off panel, which is easy, but he could capture a likeness 360 degrees, up, mm. down, different different perspectives. Uh, you would assume that a, a caricature artist was working from some kind of uh, stock photography, which wasn't called back then, but reference would, that was supplied to them by the studios. And they all did it. But Drucker took what he was given and just ran with it. He created graphic interpretations of the people that he was drawing. It wasn't just like a, it kind of looks like Alan Alda. It was freaking Alan Alda. Yep. Uh, Alan Alda spitting crumbs out of his mouth. Alan Alda laughing, which you've seen in MASH many times. But uh, interpretations of Alan Alda doing things that were never captured in studio photography. The man was uncompromisingly good. Just could take a likeness, and run with it. And that is a very rare beast. Almost nobody can do that. You got guys that can, you know, do it some part of the time, or they're really good um, in single images, like John Cash, who a, is a friend of mine, is amazing. But he does single images. And he will be the first to admit, Mort Drucker, the absolute best. There, There's no one that even comes close. That's all I have. Yeah, it's... Well, I mean, your point yeah. is is well taken. He, the dude, passed away at ninety one years old, 
but he was drawing for Mad Magazine for freaking 50 plus years. I mean, that is incredible. I mean, to have, for, to have any job uh, in any career for that long is, uh, is, is hard to imagine, but, but to, to, you know, for a cartoonist, that's just incredible. And, uh, you know, we've talked a lot of the years about the, the EC guys and mad and how much it means to all of us and, and so forth. And, um, you know, I have to say, when I think back on it, I don't know that I've often talked about Drucker, um, in terms of, of all the people that I associate with mad as being like the most important to me. Um, but like his passing just made me think back and it just this flood of memories, like you said, Vince, of, when I think of reading Mad Magazine, especially when I was younger and it was it was fresh and new, I, I so much relate to the when I remember them. I I, I remember the, the 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 parodies, you know. I remember the the parodies of of films and TV so particularly, and and you know he did really all of them until well at least until Tom Richmond started doing some too. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean it, it's just one of those things like you know there's. There's always people pass and it's often sad and it's always sad to lose a great one. But I, I do appreciate that he lived to 91. That's a very good age. And he did retire. He was able to, unlike so many artists um, who just have to keep working because they just never made a, a good enough living. He was able, I don't know, through investment or what his wife did, but whatever. But he was able to to call it a career and, and retire and live, a, from what I understand, to be a very peaceful last uh, 10 or so years of his life. In, in relatively good health and, and with plenty of money, which is awesome, right? That he did get to enjoy his last years. Uh, he had his, he and his wife were high school sweethearts, oh, which is incredible. I yeah. mean, that is just awesome. Um, so you're talking 70 plus years they were married, which is just, or together, which is just, I mean, as a romantic, I just love that. And uh, yeah, um, there's one thing I wanted to mention because, uh, you know, this is one of those guys, like Vince said, that was universally beloved as a person, um, not just as a creator. And speaking of Tom Richmond, uh, we have had the privilege of chatting with Tom many times at conventions, most, most often New York. Um, you know, and, and Tom is effectively the guy who replaced more, not that more can be replaced, but, but Tom was working at mad for a long time. And then Tom took over the, the role as the main caricaturist, the one who did those same kind of parody stories. Uh, and Tom wrote a little eulogy for more, um, and it's long. I'm not going to read it all here, but there's just one thing that I thought was just very fitting. Um, and it's talking, I'm going to paraphrase. It's talking about how I guess, uh, back in the late nineties, uh, Mort sponsored Tom's membership into the national cartoonist society. And, um, and then they were at the annual, uh, get together for the society, um, on the, the, the night where he was going to be in, get his membership when Tom was going to get his membership. And he said that, um, he went and found, uh, you know, he wanted to make sure he went up and found George Breisiger, who was the president of the society at the time, just to, uh, introduce himself and let him, you know, sh- express his appreciation. He said, uh, during a rare quiet moment, um, I went up and introduced myself telling George that Mort sponsored me for membership and said, I should make sure to introduce myself uh, Mort is such a hero of mine, I said to George. He laughed, clapped me on the back, and said, Mort is everyone's hero. And then he said, that's literally the same reaction I would get from everyone I met that weekend. And that has continued over the 20-plus years that I have met mutual friends and peers. There are a few cartoonists who have been more universally respected, admired, and loved among his peer group than Mort Drucker. And, uh, yeah, I think that's 
that's the way the guy's going to be remembered, and that's awesome. Yep. Not only was the guy omnipresent in my childhood and my teens and my 20s and my 30s, but I can remember when my two worlds collided, when Drucker did the illustration of Anthrax, the band Anthrax, Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God. What? The, uh, again, it was like Marvel 2-in-1 crossing over into Marvel Team-Up. What mm-hmm. the hell is happening here where this guy whose career I followed at, from a child is now illustrating, rendering this band that I love so much? It was crazy. And it was just the, the, he seemingly was everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. I'm trying to think who, who's left of of the original Mad Guys now. Al Jaffe. Right. Um, Is that it? It may be. Don Martin's past. Yeah. Um, Jack Davis has passed. I, I, it's hard, uh, to, hard to say. Um, uh, you, you would have to stop at a certain... Like, if you're talking... The OG Mad artists are are all dead, but yeah. then there was the the magazine stable that they had. Is Dave Berg still alive? I don't think he's still cartoons, but yeah. Antonio Prohias is dead. Yeah, yes, I was a spy. Um, I know Dick DiBartolo is still. I, I'm pretty sure he's still alive. He's a writer, but he, he's still alive. Dave Berg passed away in 2002. Oh man, uh, look at me. Well, he was born in 1920, so he was 82 when he died. Yeah, I mean, they're they're you know, like you said, they're these are older gentlemen, right? They all were, they weren't young bucks when they got started doing mad. So yeah, but again, yeah. like like Allred, it was just a level of craft that call me any name you want, you don't see every day today. It, they're 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 just uh, draftsmen on a level that is a rarity these days, and we were we were lucky to have them. No doubt, we yeah. we um. And when I oh, Feldstein's dead, right? Yeah. Yep. When I think of um, if 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 John Severin was the cracked artist for me, um, mm-hmm. that then Drucker was the Mad Magazine artist. I mean, it, it was I I enjoyed the parodies drawn by Angelo Torres, but I don't know what was about. I mean, they're very similar in style, but. There was something about the work that that Mort put, uh, whether it was the Star Wars movies or Godfather or, or Jaws, Bonanza. I mean, it just—it's like you said, Vince. But it's Alan Alda. There wasn't—it didn't look like him or be close enough to maybe it is. It, it, it's he, and he didn't. Is his, his style? He never insulted the actor. Yeah, someone might have a larger nose or bushy eyebrows or or puffy cheeks, but that that wasn't. He didn't draw them in a way where. That was at at their expense. That that was the funniest part of 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 whatever they, they just you know, he he didn't he didn't draw to insult and 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 the caricatures looked great and um the expressions I I I really really enjoyed um Drucker's work and yeah and I I I picture I I see Tom Richmond as as the um picking up that that torch he has that. That style we we've at, at the cons we've seen him at and he's got the James Bond through the years or 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 the various franchises and and all the 
the actors that have played different characters over the years, and he's he definitely is from that school, and and yeah. um, and that's it's it's a little bit of a newer take because it's it, it maybe a little bit more polished or just with with the tools of the trade these days. But but yeah, he um, he's definitely picked up that torch. But yeah, I it, it's and I haven't I probably I haven't flipped through an issue of Mad that that more drawn in a while um with all the issues i have but it's it was when when i saw the news it that i definitely felt the sense of loss even though i haven't seen anything i haven't read anything by him um in a minute so um i i am very very happy that um we were able to see things that he was working on when they were coming out um in that magazine, it, it, um, he helped shape me into being a fan of the parodies of Mad Magazine, of, of that style. And, um, and I, I definitely appreciate it. Yeah. A couple of things. Uh, I never realized this, but the, the magazine, or Mad rather, in its comic and magazine form, for most of its existence, were located at 485 Madison Avenue. Yeah. I work at 488 Madison Avenue. Huh. I, yeah, crazy. Um, but um, Vince, you were right. Relative to the the comic version, the twenty three issue comic run, all the creators are past now. Harvey Kurtzman, Wally Wood, Will Elder, Jack Davis, John Severin, all all gone. Um, and then of the first guys to the magazine form, starting in fifty six, which obviously Mort was a part of that crew. John Martin passed. Mort Drucker gone. Prohias and Dave Berg were all gone. So there's two left. Two two living members left. Um, Anyways, we said Feldstein's gone as the editor, but uh, Frank Jacobs still alive, and Sergio still alive. Oh, right, of course. Well, yeah. and, and Jaffe is still alive. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's not listed here for some reason. That's weird. Maybe he didn't join like that first. But yeah, no, he should be. He obviously should be listed here for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's so three, three. Yeah, we three, always four. forget about Sergio, which is weird. I know. I mean, I know. We marginalized him. <laughs> <clears throat> there you go but i mean richmond's more exaggerated than drucker i think there, there's a realism to drucker's stuff that richmond will hyper exaggerate the things that make you know like a, a pronounced jaw the jaws are huge in a richmond drawing where drucker wouldn't take such liberties with them mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah. I I I love them both, but you mentioned Severin. Severin was no slouch with likenesses either. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, no. Severin was oh, very yeah. very good, but I don't know if 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 you know uh, we had the the knockdown drag out, I'd have to give it to Drucker. Man, someday we might have to do a ranking of all these guys and start fisticuffs. Oof. Uh, I don't see how you know. I don't want to. Get into here. It you go with your proclamations. No, I, I don't I, see how so and so is number one. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't. I would expect Jack Davis to be number one for all of us, or for you, or for. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But um, Drucker was phenomenal. Davis had. Mm, I don't want to denigrate uh, Drucker in time in times of his passing, but Davis was Davis was the Superman of Mad. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, he would be mine, for sure, but yeah. I, I didn't know if you were saying... Yeah. No, I really love Davis's work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's from another planet. 
But the, the, I mean, that would be maybe easy. But like I know for you, Don Martin would be way near the bottom, and for me, he's right near the top. Oh uh, yeah, just he wouldn't even be a consideration kid. for me. What? He wouldn't even be a consideration for me. Yeah, that hurts my heart. But okay. uh, I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> One trick pony. Yeah. One trick pony. All right. Wow, it's a great trick. <laughs> there we go, everybody. Hey. We hope you love this because we had a blast doing it, and we hope you join us on our next one of these. If you would like to continue your 11 o'clock comics adventure beyond the auditory realm, go to Twitter and Reddit and Facebook and Instagram because we have presences there, and uh, we're quite prolific. Um, if you would like to check out our Patreon, do so. It's patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. In the meantime, you know the drill. Make sure you say it because he's going to stick around until we do. Say goodnight. I wish I had something that made a noise. Oh, I got Freddy, but he's too high. Let you work for it this time. Wow. Making him earn it. A David. Oh. Good night. What's up, Jason? What's up, Vince? How you doing, my brother? Chilling, chilling. Got nothing to hit. You got any love for anthrax? Zero point zero. Oh damn! Are you kidding me? <laughs> I couldn't tell you a single song they've ever sang. I caught in a mosh. Uh, again, maybe if I heard yeah. it, I I don't. Thank you. I heard you, David. I know. Sabbath Boy Sabbath. Um, uh, well, you can't. Yeah, you there's, can't give it up. There's. Um, um, I am the law. Yep. There's, um, uh, yeah, Indians. Yeah. What is it? Uh, ENF, ELF, Evilness of the Bass, the backward well, uh, you song. Well, you know what? They, there's they the, the awesome the team up. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah That's the one song I know. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's great. That that was that that broke the world when Public Enemy teamed up with Anthrax. When, um, yeah, so I know that. That's about it. When I worked at uh, when I worked at CBS at Cross County in Yonkers, New York, they um, Charlie came in and uh, and bought something. Charlie Benante. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, I knew who he was too. I was like, hey. No shit. Yeah. Well, because because um, people have to buy condoms and aspirin too. That's true. That's true. Because they were they 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 were they're in the Bronx, Westchester area. They um, I think I think Scott Scott may have been from the Bronx, but but Joey's um Joey uh, Charlie's uncle, the the lead singer. He he was from Yonkers. Jason Among the Living is one of the all time classic metal uh, albums. No, I'm I'm aware that they have are held in high regard for you metalheads, but I used to ask me a question, I give you an honest answer. I don't I don't know much about them. Fucking Indians. Mm-hmm. Imitation of life. Come Again, on. I'm not saying they're not good. I just don't just don't know them. Wow. We got As hit. I said, it, 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 kids, people my age in their mid-40s growing up, we most of us were either a Yom TV Raps or a Headbangers Ball kid. Uh, Very few of us were into both. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So I was a Fab Five Freddy guy, and I don't know who hosted <laughs> Headbangers Ricky Ball. So, Ricky Rash. Yeah, Ricky Rash. Ricky Rash. Right, right. There you go. Okay. I was so into Anthrax. I had a shirt from every album. I had the little what the fuck the the guy the the squishy face guy that's that was their mascot. 
the the guy with the mustache. I had a rubber thing. You put your fingers in the eye sockets and in the mouth, and you can make them talk. I was huge into anthrax, and they're still going strong. Yeah. Trivia, Jason. Mm. What uh, comic book artist has done uh, multiple anthrax album covers? Oh, Jesus. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how it would hazard a guess since I just said I don't really know anything about the band, so I don't know their covers. Uh, um, Sinkevich. Alex Ross. Really? Yeah. Now that I wouldn't have figured. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And they're awesome covers. They're great. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Uh, it's that time of the month where our patrons vote on the book of the month. Yes. And I'm driving the bus this time around. I picked 11. Choice. Yeah. I picked 11 um, collections and or graphic novels. And here they are. Uh, we have Atomic Empire by Theory Smolderin and Alexandre Selrys from IDW. <laughs> the complete Alfred Bester's The Stars My Destination by uh, Byron Prius and Howard Shaken. I didn't realize how expensive this book is to procure. My bad. <laughs> but it's I think it's it's Howard's best bad best work. It's not gonna win. But I, if if you ever have uh, an opportunity to buy the complete Alfred Bester's Stars My Destination, buy it. You'll never see Howard looking better. But anyway. Uh the Eternaut by Hector Herman Osterheld and Francisco Solano Lopez from Fanographics as a die cut cover. Uh, Ghost Tree by Bobby Kernow and Simon Gain from IDW. Lupus by Frederick Peters from Top Shelf. The Perry Bible Fellowship Almanac 10th Anniversary Edition by Nicholas Gurevich and the Perry Bible Fellowship from Dark Horse. PTSD by Guillaume Singlin from First Second. The Rise and Fall of the Trigon Empire, Volume 1, by Mike Butterworth and Don Lawrence from Rebellion. Robert Silverberg's Colonies, Volume 1, Philippe Thoreau and Laura Zuccheri from Humanoids. The Spirit, an 80th Anniversary Celebration, Will Eisner and Company from Clover Press. And rounding it all out, Stephen King's Creepshow, by Stephen King and some guy named Bernie Wrightson from Signet. I won't tell you what's currently in the lead, but I don't want to skew it. But uh, if the book that's in the lead wins, we're going to have some work to do. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yes. Yes. I'm legit excited because I have not read um, all of these, but for one. No. Uh, No, yeah, just one. Yeah, just one. Yeah. Wait, because you read the book that's in the lead. I'm I'm halfway through with it. Uh, It's not in the lead anymore. Oh no 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 no! I'm sorry. You're right. It's not in the lead. Uh, yeah, the one that is in the lead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's gonna take some work to read. It's gonna take you at least a week. Just saying. So prepare. Okay. Well, the comic I'm not looking to mention that you're talking about is barely in the lead. So, two uh, percent in the lead. It's two votes. Okay. And the one that's trailing it is, uh, oddly enough, Creepshow. Yep. There are another, what, 24 hours for voting? So no. Uh, it's, uh, there's two days left. It ends Saturday at 5 Eastern. 
there you go. So by the time people hear this, it'll be like another day to get your votes in. So there's a lot of there's a there there are a few that could end up being the pick. Yeah. Um, if you voted for uh, Stars My Destination, I love you, but your votes would be better spent on something that actually is going to get talked about. That was my bad putting that on there. Uh, I I knew it wasn't currently in print, but I didn't realize that it was so expensive to buy. I mean, I have it, so that's why I put it on. Yeah, there. our man Scorpio jumped in as if he could find a copy for less than 50 bucks, he would have voted for it. Yeah, well, more often than not, it's more than that, from what I've yeah, seen. Yeah, he said it's selling for over 100 bucks. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever peered beneath those covers? As I said, I have read one of these books, and it is PTSD because I talked about it on the show. It is. It is gorgeous. Um, it's Howard's finest hour, by far. You, you, you'd look at it and you'd be like, what? Wow. It, it makes that Captain America thing. You could see why we say good shaken, bad shaken. Mm-hmm. Or uninterested shaken. Let's put it that way. All right, everybody. We've said our piece. We're out of here. Boys, say what you want to say. Love, Love you all. Stay safe. Thanks for continuing to brighten our weeks. Hopefully we're doing the same for you in a little, in a little, little bit away. Nice. Crush that curve, y'all. Mm-hmm. And vote for Biden, please. I'm, I'm telling you, right? <laughs> <sighs> Don't even get me started.